0: Hi, my name is Solomon Pena. Can I speak with Debbie
1: O'Malley?
0: Um, she doesn't live here Anyone? Okay. OK, well, the public record says she owns it. Uh, do you know where she lives?
2: I mean, that is very scary.
3: Talk about like committing your crimes on camera. Okay, like. I mean,
2: Dumb criminals, but I mean, it's still frightening. Good morning, everyone. Poppy's off. It's just Caitlin and I today. And what we're, we're reacting to is that chilling surveillance video. That's an election denier, an election denier who lost a race He's caught on camera searching for Democratic lawmakers not long before he allegedly sent gunmen to shoot up their homes.
3: And also this morning, the husband of a missing Massachusetts mother has now been charged with her murder. Investigators are expected to release new evidence just hours from now. Also this.
2: He hasn't committed a crime. He hasn't been indicted on anything at this point. And in this country, you're innocent until proven guilty. So Mm -hmm. we're going to treat him like any other member and keep an eye on it. Okay. Well, his life story was fake. His resume chock full of... Blatant and bizarre lies, but that didn't stop Republican leaders from putting George Santos on two congressional committees. A lot to get to in hours ahead. We're going to begin with the tragic breaking news out of Ukraine. A helicopter crash near Kiev, killing at least 18 people, including several top Ukrainian officials who were on board. Among the dead, a member of President Zelensky's cabinet. The chopper went down near a kindergarten, and we're told the crash also killed children who were on the ground, sadly. Straight to scene is Clarissa Ward, who is live at the crash scene in Brovary, Ukraine. Clarissa, good morning to you. What are we seeing? What is the latest there?
4: Good morning, Don. Well, as if Ukraine has not seen enough tragedy and horror this morning, we are here outside this kindergarten. You can see there's an ongoing effort to try to comb through uh, the debris and the wreckage of this kindergarten to see if any other children or teachers may have been killed, uh, may be injured, or beneath uh, the rubble. Basically, what happened was about 8.20 this morning, local time, a helicopter carrying nine officials, including the interior minister, Denis Ministerski, his deputy, the secretary of state of the Ministry of Interior, and six others basically appeared to have lost control somehow of uh, the helicopter. It crashed into this kindergarten. And what we know now is that 18 people were killed at least. That includes all nine people who were on board the helicopter. We saw earlier on at the scene, at least four bodies covered with gold foil blankets. But they are concerned that there could be more who were killed. Three children, tragically, have also been killed. Among those who were killed who were not on the helicopter, Don, were people and children. They were coming here to drop their kids off to school. uh, And then sadly, this tragedy unfolded. We don't know yet exactly how this happened or why this happened, but the visibility was very bad this morning. We spoke to one neighbor who said, The fog was so bad he could hear the crash, but he couldn't even see it uh, from his window. So now the race continues to try to get more information and try to make sure that there is nobody else uh, potentially injured or killed inside that area, Don.
2: Uh, An awful story out of Ukraine this morning that Clarissa Ward is following. We're going to check back with you throughout the morning here. Thank you, Clarissa.
3: Now to the disappearance of the Massachusetts mother, Anna Walsh, who vanished on New Year's Day. Her husband has now been charged with her murder. Walsh was already in jail after he was arrested 10 days ago on charges that he had misled investigators. And now he's set to appear in court just hours from now. Investigators still have not found a body, but the district attorney says they believe they have enough evidence to charge him with her murder. Jason Carroll is live in Quincy, Massachusetts. Jason, what are we expecting in just a few hours from now?
1: Well, Caitlin, the the district attorney's office has already indicated that we are expected to hear additional details about what they've uncovered in their case when this arraignment gets underway later on today. So what could that look like? So perhaps what we'll get is more information about forensic evidence that was uncovered. You remember that investigators found that hacksaw at the trash facility They also found a knife at the home, blood in the basement on the floor there. So perhaps we'll learn if any test results that were done on any of those items are linked to Anna Walsh. And again, prosecutors have already outlined a a strange pattern of behavior that uh, Walsh exhibited uh, following his wife's disappearance, including buying more than $450 uh, worth of cleaning supplies at that Home Depot. In addition to that, remember that internet search that he did where he searched for how to dispose of a 115 pound woman's body and how to dismember a body. So during this arraignment, we're expected to hear more about whatever uh, additional evidence uh, investigators uncovered uh, throughout all of this. Caitlin?
3: Is the sense from your reporting that we could also learn more about a potential motive today at this hearing?
1: Oh yeah. That is a possibility, uh, although it's not a requirement. Uh, As you know, here in Massachusetts, prosecutors don't have to show motive. Uh, that is not something that's required as part of a murder case. Uh, they just have to show intent. They don't have to show that there's a body. They do not have to show that there's a motive. However, uh, perhaps we will learn more about a motive here because that certainly is the question among so many people here on the ground. Why did Brian Walls do this allegedly to his wife, the mother of their three young
2: children? Caitlin?
3: Yeah, absolutely. We'll stay tuned for that hearing. Jason Carroll, thank you.
2: New Mexico State House candidate Salomon Pena visited the homes of at least two local Democratic leaders to protest his election loss before orchestrating a conspiracy to target those homes with gunfire. That is according to New Mexico police who arrested Pena earlier this week. Take a look at this. This is ring doorbell footage capturing Pena visiting the former home of Democratic County Commissioner Debbie O'Malley prior to the December 11th attack on her residence. We turn now to Sinan's Keung Law, live for us in Albuquerque, uh, New Mexico, this morning, for Sinan this morning. Uh, Good morning to you. It is amazing that this was all caught on doorbell video camera.
5: It's just wild, Don. And he didn't visit just... One home and caught on ring camera once. It was twice. He went to Commissioner O'Malley's daughter's house and then he went to her house. And then we don't have ring video for this, but he went to another commissioner's house. This is all before the shootings began. And I spoke to both of these lawmakers and they say that he was complaining that he lost the election. And I just need to point out that He lost by such a massive landslide that you could double the amount of votes he got, and he still wouldn't have won. Now, the arrest warrant says that he was driven by election lies, and we see that really echoed in his social media accounts. He tweeted on his candidacy uh, website and account that, quote, Trump just announced for 2024. I stand with him. He also says, I never conceded. And in another uh, another tweet, he said, Mine was also rigged, and I will fight it until the day I die. He does have his first court appearance later this morning, Don. Hope to learn a little bit more about the motivation behind this man.
2: Can I follow up on something? I think you said you spoke to Debbie O'Malley. What did you learn?
5: Uh, yeah, fascinating conversation. First of all, she showed us. These bullet holes in her adobe wall, and I could stick my finger about halfway through. That's how deep these bullet holes were. And there were 10 of them that I could count, a total of a dozen shots fired at her house. Take a listen to how she described it. I was very angry and I just disgusted about the whole thing. These are significantly sized holes.
6: They are. It was so loud. This happened when my husband and I were asleep.
5: And she says she's obviously relieved, Don. The other thing that I find remarkable is she says she is not going to back down. She's not leaving her house. Don.
2: Kyung Law, thank you for that this morning. Appreciate it.
3: Also, this woman, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, is now officially an insider. Though she was once shunned as this conspiracy theorist, she has now landed a powerful pair of committee assignments, Homeland Security and Oversight. Just to underline that point, the same woman who has previously pushed 9-11 conspiracy theories does now sit on the Homeland Security Committee. That is also really just scratching the surface of what she said previously.
7: A so-called plane that crashed into the Pentagon. It's odd. There's never any evidence shown for a plane in the Pentagon. There is an Islamic invasion into our government offices right now. How do you get avid gun owners and people that support the Second Amendment to give up their guns? Maybe you accomplish that by performing a mass shooting into a crowd. You make them scared. You make them victims, and you change their mindset. Kennedy getting killed in the plane crash. That's another one of those... um, Clinton murders, right? We're talking about who is Q, so I'm going to tell you what he says. According to him, many in our government are actively worshiping Satan, or they call Moloch. Q is saying that they participate in pedophilia and spirit cooking. We already saw there was an email, came out of the WikiLeaks emails, where Cheryl, was at Cheryl Moles, and she told Hillary Clinton in an email that she was going to sacrifice a chicken to Moloch in her backyard. Saudi Arabia the Rothschilds, and Soros, he says, are the puppet masters that fund this global evil. There's a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take this global cable of Satan-worshipping pedophiles out.
3: The Homeland Security Committee oversees the border. It'll likely play a role in the potential impeachment that some Republicans are seeking of the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. And a seat on the Oversight Committee is also going to put Marjorie Taylor Greene in a position to investigate President Biden, something she has talked about doing shortly after she was put on that committee. It's a lot of power for someone who was once stripped of her committee assignments two years ago because of her extreme views, a lot of the ones that you heard there. It's also a lot of power for someone who has repeatedly spread misinformation about the 2020 election, claiming it was stolen, that mass voter fraud tipped the scales, and blaming the media and, quote, deep state for Biden's win. It's also a lot of power for someone who once speculated about space laser causing the deadly 2018 wildfires in California, saying it wouldn't be a good look for the Rothschild banking firm. Marjorie Taylor Greene also spoke at a white nationalist convention last year, something that provoked then-minority leader, now House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, to say, quote, the party should not be associated at any time, any place with somebody who is anti-Semitic. By now, the two are often side by side. She is on the inside. She has been pushing For Kevin McCarthy and, of course, Don, you know, she's not the only person here who's been put on a committee that was in a controversial position and now has a pretty powerful gig on Capitol Hill.
2: You read my mind as you were saying that. I was saying, what about George Santos, right? He is one of another another person who has been put in a powerful position. So, Caitlin, let's discuss that. But Let's talk about Congressman George Santos a little bit more here. The New York freshman, known for his lies, more for his lies than his policies, now sitting on two lower-level committees, even as he faces calls to resign. The House GOP Steering Committee is in charge of committee assignments. And here's how one member defended the choice.
8: Why?
1: What do you? You know, they're concerned about his past. Why give him committee assignments?
2: Well, I mean, again, he he hasn't committed a crime. He hasn't been indicted on anything at this point. And in this country, you're innocent until proven guilty. So mm-hmm. we're gonna uh, treat him like any other member, and you know, keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. With that, let's go to CNN's Lauren Fox live on Capitol Hill with more. Lauren, good morning to you. The reaction on the Hill from Santos getting two committee assignments, is, it, is everyone saying, oh, well, let's see what happens from here?
9: Well, that is certainly the response you heard from Republicans yesterday coming out of the steering committee meeting. And we should note that the steering committee is often nicknamed the Speaker's Committee. And that is because it is full of his allies and it often reflects the speaker's wishes. So it's significant that George Santos was seated not just by this committee, but also because it reflects the fact that Kevin McCarthy throughout the last several weeks has been arguing that George Santos was elected. He was elected and represents a million people, and therefore, while the ethics investigation plays out, he believes that George Santos should be seated on committees. Now, he got two committees that are not known as A-list committees. They are not as high-profile as perhaps financial services or foreign affairs committees that he wanted to have, but he was placed on the Small Business Committee as well as the Science Committee, and it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of player he is. I mean, remember that when lawmakers are on these committees. They sit in powerful hearings. They can question witnesses. They can pass legislation. And that all helps you when you go back home and run for re-election, make your case for why you should be re-elected, Don.
2: The question is, I mean, you heard Caitlin talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene, right, for one. And then there's Paul Gosar also on committees after being kicked off last year. Is this a sign of how the GOP House is going to operate? And if so, that has repercussions for the American people.
9: Well it's certainly a reflection that Kevin McCarthy needed every single vote he could get in that speaker's race. Marjorie Taylor Greene was with him from the beginning advocating for him, which really put her at odds with some of her colleagues in the House Freedom Caucus and other conservatives, but it is important that she is going to be seated on the Homeland Security Committee, a committee that is going to have broad oversight over immigration, over terrorism policy, over domestic terrorism policy. All of that is something that we should be watching for. It's also really interesting that Paul Gosar is Turning to the Natural Resources Committee, it's not necessarily as high profile as something like Homeland Security or oversight. But what it does show you is that it gives him an opportunity, because he's from the state of Arizona, to really work on issues that matter for his state, Don. And again, that helps you get reelected. So Kevin McCarthy and the steering committee doing these members a favor when they go back home and argue to constituents, look what I'm doing for you.
2: Early in the morning at the Capitol, Lauren Fox for us. Lauren, thank you.
3: Also this morning, the White House Counsel's Office still struggling to answer questions about President Biden's handling of classified documents. The administration has been facing criticism over this, even from some Democrats, over how they've handled the matter related to the handling of those documents when they made it first known to the public. And in a call with reporters on Tuesday, there were a lot of questions, but not a ton of answers on what has happened behind the scenes. MJ Lee is live at the White House for CNN this morning. MJ, I know you were on that call with our, the rest of our White House team. What questions still were not answered by White House officials on this matter? And why did they say they couldn't answer some of those questions?
10: Well, Caitlin, it's curious. You'll remember over the weekend, the White House counsel's office said now that there is a special counsel investigation, we are going to refer all questions to the special counsel's office. Well, yesterday they convened a press call with reporters to try to defend their handling of all of this, saying the president takes classified documents very seriously, that they have been cooperating from day one and will continue to do so. But after about 30 minutes of taking many questions from reporters, we basically just didn't learn anything any new facts. And these are important questions that are still outstanding. Uh, Questions like why did the White House wait to disclose the fact that there were classified documents that were discovered? Uh, Why did Biden lawyers who don't have security clearances proceed to look for classified documents after that initial discovery on November 2nd? Uh, Now, but the fact that they had this call anyway, even though clearly there were a lot of facts that they just simply cannot share, I think just goes to show the struggle that the White House is facing right now, uh, feeling like it really cannot, address the facts of an investigation that is still ongoing and also wanting to feel like they are showing that they are trying to answer to the criticisms of the lack of transparency right now.
3: Yeah, and I saw that the press secretary said yesterday Biden has full confidence in his team that is handling this. But there's also been reporting from you and other colleagues at CNN that he's actually the president's actually pretty frustrated behind the scenes. What is his take on how they've handled this so far? Yeah, and just keep in mind,
10: as you said, there has just been a lot of criticism too. And this is not just coming from Republicans or the usual critics. It's coming from Democrats too and allies that are close to uh, the president. And they have really just focused on this issue of this narrative having become a drip, drip, drip narrative. And they feel like that could have been avoided. And when the White House press secretary was asked yesterday, does the president have confidence in his team's handling of all of this? She said, yes, uh, he does. But as you said, we do know that the president himself has grown frustrated that this story has consumed the White House when certainly there are so many other
3: things that he would rather be focused on right now, Caitlin. Yeah, they've got State of the Union coming up, maybe a 2024 announcement. Uh, MJ Lee, thank you so much. All right, just hours from now, we're going to hear from President Zelensky. You know, all these world leaders have been gathering in Davos. President Zelensky is going to be addressing these leaders on the world stage after the First Lady of Ukraine did so. Will his plea for more weapons work?
2: And The Daily Show has a new host, sort of.
3: And I'm going to tell you right now,
11: this comfortable-ass chair is mine.
12: More CNN This Morning to come after the break.
11: But first, I would like to give a shout-out to Trevor Noah. One of the things that moved me so much in his last show, he said, if you want to truly learn about America, talk to black women. Well, guess who's coming
2: to dinner,
7: baby? (laughs) (laughs) Let
2: me just say this. I love to be some Leslie Jones. Does that? Nah, it's not like perfect grammar, but I do. That's how I feel. I love to be some Remember Leslie how funny Jones. Funny,
3: she was during the pandemic when she would watch the yeah. news and she'd record it and comment on it and then post it on her Twitter. Yeah.
2: Why did we get that clip? Because there's a clip of her going Don, Don to a number of shows I was doing. So, <laughs> Leslie Jones, congratulations, guest hosting the Daily Show for the first time last night, and in true Daily Show fashion, she took on the big stories in D.C. Classified material next to your Corvette? What were you thinking?
13: By the way, my Corvettes in the lock garage. Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. <laughs> what?
11: This is a national security emergency. Okay, a man this old with access to a Corvette? <laughs> What's more scary, Biden losing the nuclear codes or Biden going 85 on the highway? (laughs) Biden, please do not drive that Corvette. Your ass can't even ride a
2: bike. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> ah! Okay, so she is the first guest host to fill in after Trevor Noah's departure. Uh, other future guest hosts include Wanda Sykes, who I love as well. D.L., you know how I feel about D.L. Hughley. A new permanent host has not yet been named. There are a bunch of people. Asa Minaj, Chelsea Handler, um, uh, Roy Wood Jr., a bunch of people. Okay, so joining us now, entertainment journalist Segun Odulowu. O do,
14: There it is. There it it is. is. Early in the morning. Got it. (laughs) Nigeria is so proud right now. How are you? I like you. I love your attire. Well, I got my Don Lemon starter kit on. Like, we got the bracelets. (laughs) I got the navy blue and the white. Like, listen, yo, real recognize real, so.
3: He really sets the tone. (laughs) Look at the glasses. (laughs) This is
2: great. Enough about me. What do you think of me? No kidding. (laughs) So, listen, um, I have not been asked to fill in yet. Okay. But (laughs) it's coming, though. What did you think of Leslie? Seriously, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having
14: me, Don and Caitlin. Uh, It was great first start. There were some rough edges because anyone who's done television on a daily basis knows that what she was doing on Saturday Night Live, it's very different. Like You get to rehearse all week for one show. Like you have one great interview on Monday. What are you going to do Tuesday? What are you going to do Wednesday? What are you going to do Thursday? You all know this grind. And I'm hoping that when she guests, as a guest host, she doesn't try to make us forget Trevor. She allows us to remember Leslie. For all of the hosts that are going to fill in, that should be their key. I've guest hosted before. I've done, you know, I guest hosted for Access Hollywood. I can't make you forget Billy Bush, but I can remember I can make you remember Shagoon and that's what a guest host is supposed to do if you're trying to make it a permanent uh, a permanent job.
3: Yeah. And what does she bring to the table that's different? Cuz I mean we went from a John Stewart to a mm-hmm. Trevor Noah. Now she's filling in. You know, did you Did you notice anything that she did differently? Because she does have such a distinct type of humor.
14: Yes, so it's the politics and the news filtered through the lens of a strong black woman who is unapologetically black in her humor, right? It's in your face, it is expressive. And what Trevor did was filter it through the lens of an immigrant, right? He's biracial from South Africa. So his unique look on politics in America had that lens. I think Leslie brought in some of the, you know, like the, the, the person on the street asking about asking white people about Martin Luther King Day and making a man do 37 push-ups as reparations for not knowing anything more than the I have a dream in the I have a dream speech, which, by the way, should be mandatory on all curriculums.
2: Know the Dr. King, I have a dream speech. Yeah. So um, let's talk about... what Digging on what you mm-hmm. said, because Trevor, this isn't bad, so don't even, and my mom <laughs> loves okay. Trevor. You know? okay. So if I choose, you know, I can't say anything bad about Trevor, I love Trevor. But remember in the beginning, like mm-hmm. Trevor, you know, he had to grow into the role. You know, he was standing up and then he sat down, and people were, you know, he got compared to Jon Stewart, and people were talking about his accent and blah 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 blah. So she, whoever fills his shoes, mm-hmm. as you said, they're going to have to be themselves and yep. bring something new to the table. And there are people. Who can do that? Mm -hmm. Do you think that, do you think in this first episode that she did that? I thought she was funny. I didn't think she was trying to be Trevor in this first
14: episode. No, and I'm glad she wasn't because she can't be, just like Trevor couldn't have been John. And I think what Trevor did, to your point, was he had to find his stride. And are these guest hosts only going to get a week to find their stride? It's going to take a little bit longer, especially if they've never really done it before. I'm interested mainly about Leslie because some of the other guest hosts that they showed have done this before. And it's going to be hard for me not to remember Wanda Sykes or Chelsea (laughs)
2: Handler, you know, their shows. Speaking of Chelsea and, and all these guys, here's the thing that people don't talk about. Trevor's leaving because Trevor wants to be on the road. Mm -hmm. He wants to be able to relate to a live audience doing comedy every night. This is a gig. People don't realize. I know those hours. Like, I wasn't (laughs) a comedian. Really, Don Lemon? (laughs) But it's not. But listen, those hours aren't, they aren't easy, Mm -mm. right? No. But if you are a stand-up comedian in that position, it ties you to the desk, Mm -hmm. right? To an anchor desk rather than being out there. And so maybe every once in a while, maybe every couple of years, you get to do a special. Are these people going to want to be tied to that when you think about... Wanda Sykes, who loves being on the road, right? When you think about Chelsea Handler, who had a late night show and then a gig on um, Netflix, mm-hmm. Are they think I want to be tied to an anchor desk for four or five nights a week.
14: They probably will if the money's right, right? The great Don Olmeyer said in television, like the answer to all your questions is money. Like if you pay them well enough, they'll come off the road. But I think Trevor's what, getting paid. Well, no, Trevor is a little different. I think why Trevor left, what is really what was really smart about it is if he stayed too long, he becomes the daily show's Trevor Noah. By right. leaving when he did, he's Trevor Noah who did the daily show, and he can travel and do his own thing. We really don't associate the daily show with Jon Stewart anymore. Jon's his own entity, mm-hmm. and I think that's what Trevor is going for. I think these comedians and these new hosts will are not as established anymore because there's been an attack on comedy. I don't think comedians really want to be on the road anymore doing those shows the way we look at comedians. There's a lot of stuff that they can't say anymore, especially the risque comics like a DL, Wanda, and Sarah Silverman. You can't just open up and talk about stuff the way they used to. Only I Chappelle... Days
2: are, I think those days are... Good. I hope they're over, I think they're over, but only
14: Chappelle gets that kind of leeway. Yeah,
3: Yeah, so. it's a huge platform, too, mm-hmm. for them to, to build their brand even further. Chagoon? Thank you so much for joining uh, it's us. It's
14: my fir- first time, hopefully not last time. And Don, when you want me to fill in, I'm already dressed
2: for it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you go into his closet this morning?
2: Don't try to steal my style, man. Hey, man, listen, I just want to steal the gig.
3: I know where his closet's <laughs> located. I'll tell you. So,
2: Sigourney, it was great. Your first appearance yeah. and last. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> kidding. It was good to see you. Pleasure.
3: <laughs> Thank you. All right, up next this morning, why Americans are actually starting to spend less.
2: Plus, Western allies need to, quote, step up military support to Ukraine. That's from the European Commission president. Ahead, the latest major aid package the US plans to send to Ukrainian fighters. Welcome back everyone to CNN this morning. Here's what's coming up. The new survey that suggests Americans could spend even less money this year, we'll discuss, plus why former President Trump is calling out prominent evangelical leaders and Republicans are wasting no time firing up investigations into the Biden family. The CNN reporting, straight ahead.
3: Also today, it's a critical week for Ukraine underway as President Zelensky is set to address the world's political and business leaders who have gathered in Davos, Switzerland, in just a few hours. Zelensky is expected to raise his pleas for more advanced weapons like tanks and air defense systems as the war is stretching into a tough winter campaign with big expectations for what could happen this spring. While most NATO-allied countries have poured billions into supporting Ukraine, New reporting from the New York Times suggests that the United States and the United Kingdom may not be as much on the same page about what exactly to send despite public appearances.
2: And what you've seen in just in recent um, recent weeks, not only from the United States uh, and the United Kingdom, but from many other countries is a continued commitment to make sure that the Ukrainians do have. Uh, what they need.
15: Well, really, all all I can do um, is find
2: myself reinforcing the points that Secretary Blinken uh, has made.
3: Joining us now is White House and national security correspondent for The New York Times, David Sanger, who is also a CNN political and national security analyst. David, I think one big question is we are seeing world leaders like this gather together and as ahead of these meetings with Zelensky speaking. There are questions about what exactly to send Ukraine. And I wonder what your sense from your reporting is on how aligned the United States and the rest of these NATO allies still are on what exactly to send.
16: Well, Caitlin, in a broad sense, it's remarkable that they are still all together nearly a year into this war. Putin's calculus had been divide NATO. And in fact, we're seeing NATO probably more unified on the general principle of pushing back on Russia than they've ever been. Uh, And you've seen Japan and Germany make really remarkable shifts in their foreign policy, some of the biggest shifts they've made in decades to be far more aggressive in, in helping with, with actual fighting equipment. But when you dig a little bit beneath the surface, you do see differences. Uh, James Cleverly, the, the British foreign minister who you saw there with uh, Secretary Tony Blinken, um, came to Washington yesterday, had lunch with a good number of us, and basically made the case that we only have weeks in order to get more equipment into the hands of the Ukrainians and that they're capable of winning a total victory. The American view is this is probably going to be a long slog of many years and we have to be prepared to support Ukraine for many years and that's going to require a different kind of support. And the Germans are under pressure to ship tanks that they have. They have not agreed to go do that yet or agreed to allow countries that have tanks that are designed by Germany uh, to send them, Poland and, and others. So there's a lot to work out.
2: Okay, so that's pretty interesting. Well, talk about the timeline later. But l- let me ask you, because you mentioned a number of different countries. Explain the difference in, uh, with each different country, because they have to weigh their level of support, what they're going to send. And that's a lot of coordination in, in doing that.
16: Uh, that is. I and mean, I think Secretary Blinken, uh, Defense Secretary Austin will tell you they spend most of their day just trying to keep all of this group of NATO allies together and synced up. And that's what that meeting in Ramstein, Germany, is uh, all about uh, in uh, on Friday. But that said, Don, I think it's fair to say that there are somewhat different assessments here about what level of risk To go take. Now, when we saw um, the Foreign Minister of Britain, uh, Mr. Cleverly, yesterday, he basically dismissed the threat that uh, Vladimir Putin makes periodically to employ nuclear weapons or at least to move them around. He said, look, the more they're under pressure, you're going to hear that. Basically, he was saying you kind of have to dismiss it. There are a lot of people I talked to in the Pentagon, Don, who think you could never dismiss Vladimir Putin talking about nuclear weapons. Now, we haven't seen him move any. We haven't seen him do anything yet. But there's an expectation that that he he may well. And then the Germans are still concerned that Europe is not ready, even more than seven decades after World War II, to see German tanks rolling across Europe, even in the defense of the Ukrainians, because there was a time when German tanks went through Ukraine uh, in a very different situation in uh, in 1940, 41.
3: David, quickly before we let you go this morning, we know you have some new reporting. There's this little-known ammunition stockpile in Israel that you're reporting the Pentagon is actually tapping into, which is fascinating for the fact that, A, it's little-known, B, we know, know Ukraine needs ammunition, but also the fact that, C, Israel has been very wary of what it looks like they are sending, their levels of support for fear of, you know, angering the Russians.
16: That's right, Kayla. This is reporting from some of my colleagues, uh, uh, not from me, but uh, it's a really fascinating report. The U.S. keeps stockpiles of uh, ammunition in Israel so that they can use it anywhere in the Middle East. And they have quietly been raiding that some to move uh, ammunition quickly into the hands of the Ukrainians. Now, the Israelis don't have any control over this. It's a U.S. stockpile Uh, But the fact of the matter is that uh, it's coming out of of Israeli territory. And as you point out, the Israelis have not fully embraced Ukraine by any means in in recent times. Uh, they've, They've been trying to keep the Russians happy because they need Russia's help in Syria. All right. David Sanger, have a great
2: morning. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you soon. Thank you. A Minnesota university that called one of its lecturers' actions Islamophobic is now walking back their rebuke what they're now saying.
15: Sanchez with the ball forward, and Swanson's
13: in round the back. She's already got one, and now it's another. Three second half goals for the United States and a second goal of the
15: day.
3: The U.S. women's national soccer team starting the new year with a bang, trouncing New Zealand with a 4 nothing win in Wellington. Mallory Swanson scoring that opening goal just after halftime after a lackluster first 45 minutes. She scored a second goal just minutes later. Alex Morgan and Lynn Williams got the next two points on the scoreboard and the two teams face off again on Saturday in New Zealand ahead of the summer's Women's World Cup. Goal! Back to Dodd's favorite <laughs>
12: word.
3: All right, up next we're going to talk about why former President Trump is calling Prominent evangelical leaders who helped back his victory in 2016, disloyal.
2: Plus, chilling video of a man trying to kidnap a barista through the drive through window. You're going to see what happened. So an adjunct art professor, hi- art history professor, is now suing Hammond University in Minnesota after they fired her for showing an image of a 14th century painting featuring the prophet Muhammad in an art history class. According to the New York Times, one student objected to the image being shown and complained to school administrators. University responded by calling the incident Islamophobic. Now in a statement, the university says, in the interest of hearing from and supporting our Muslim students, language was used that does not reflect our statements on academic freedom. Based on all of that, we have learned, we have determined that our usage of the term is homophobic, was therefore flawed. Interesting, John Ablon, our senior political analyst is here. What do you make, this is about
13: faith, what do you make of this? This is a very big story when it comes to academic freedom and defense of liberal values, frankly. Hamblin University is a small liberal arts college. They seem to have lost the idea of what that means in this fight with the adjunct professor. Art history class, she went in saying she was going to show pictures of religious figures, including the prophet Muhammad, warned students at the outset, warned it before the image was shown, showing an image of a 14th century painting painted by Muslim artists at the time. Uh, One student complained and she was dismissed. And the president of the university at the time wrote a a, a letter saying that sensitivity to Muslim students, one of whom complained, should have superseded academic freedom. Mm. That's a fundamental problem. That's a fundamental problem. And now they're in the firestorm that that resulted. Now they're walking that back in the face of a lawsuit. But it seems to me these sort of skirmishes um, need to be resolved by schools, particularly liberal arts colleges, doubling down on liberal values, which remind us that it's important to be sensitive to people of faith, but there's no right not to be offended, particularly if you're doing the right thing and warning people that what they see might be offensive.
3: Uh, we've seen what an issue is at small schools like this, where it seems to, like they, these students have more leeway when they complain about something like that. Uh, I do want to ask you about something else, though, that's happened in recent days, which is the former president was asked about prominent evangelical leaders not coming out and, and endorsing his 2024 bid so far. This is what uh, Trump said in response to that.
15: That's a a sign of disloyalty. There's great disloyalty in the world of politics, and that's a sign of disloyalty because nobody, as you know, and you would know better than anybody because you do such a great job, nobody has ever done more for right to life than Donald Trump.
3: I talked to some Trump advisors about this after this happened because yeah. that was a key block that helped deliver the White House to Trump. Mm-hmm. You know, he promised to appoint conservative judges. That's what they wanted. They said they believe this is just a self-defeating issue for Trump.
13: Yeah, this is this is an own goal. But I think he blurted out what he really believes. Remember, loyalty with Donald Trump is famously a one-way street. But to your point, a higher percent of evangelicals, white evangelicals, we should say, voted for Donald Trump than voted for George W. Bush. Who is was actually a born-again Christian. So for him to just basically lash out at the evangelical leaders who are pumping the brakes on a Trump 2024 and say they're being disloyal, what does he think they are, his pets? That they can be called to heal? I mean, already we got a problem in this country, frankly, when we're dealing with the problem of polarization, uh, about the polarization of religious faith. That's something that it's dangerous for democratic republics to break down around partisan lines. And this sort of, of insult to that community and say they gotta fall in line when he runs, uh, just reminds us of the importance of, frankly, keeping religious faith separate from partisan politics. Donald Trump hanging a lantern on that problem. But are we shocked didn't he didn't do the same thing with Jewish Americans? He did the so, same yeah. thing with Jewish Americans. In effect, question their loyalty. Question yeah. their yeah. their loyalty because again, it's all in that Trump-centric universe. You know, it's 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 all about. What's good for Donald Trump and not actually you know the essence of evangelism is reaching out and winning converts it, it also
3: it seemed to be kind of an excuse for 2022 and how Republicans did mm-hmm. so poorly in the midterms because he was saying because of Roe versus Wade, he said they didn't come out as much he believes in the midterms after it was already overturned.
13: Well, yeah, and, and look, I mean look religion and politics is complicated, and he in this he, he's in past blamed the overturning of roe v Wade for the performance of 2022 now saying he wants credit for it. Uh, you know I, in, in 2020, I interviewed a series of religious leaders. Um, about just the choices, Biden being a person of faith, Um, and and, and was reminded that the Bible uh, warns against the sin of lying over 116 times. So it seems to me that those are factors that should put in place as well in the totality. Uh, But bottom line, one of the things we got to do is break down this polarization of faith in American politics, this common stuff. Please get out more. (laughs) There's that too. Yeah. Thank you, John. All right, guys.
3: Don't have a Appreciate
13: it. All Straight right. ahead, why the
2: coroner has deferred Lisa Marie Presley's case, cause of death, I should say, our Dr. Sanjay Gupta will explain. More CNN this morning to come after the break.
7: Continued investigation has now allowed police to obtain an arrest warrant, charging Brian Walsh with the murder of his wife.
2: Man, this has been going on. Good morning, everyone. Poppy is off today. It's Caitlin and I. Uh, well, you heard from that, that. He's talking about a Massachusetts mom that has been missing for more than two weeks now. Now the husband of Anna Walsh faces arraignment on a murder charge in just hours.
3: A deadly helicopter crash also happening in the suburbs of Kyiv just hours ago. Ukraine's interior minister and three children are among the 16 people who are killed.
2: Police confirm a failed Republican candidate in New Mexico visited the homes of Democratic officials before targeting those homes with gunfire.
3: Also this morning, still no word on how Lisa Marie Presley died. The coroner has deferred a ruling after conducting an autopsy, asking for more time to investigate.
2: A very busy Wednesday, but first, the tragedy on the outskirts of Ukraine's capital. Sixteen people are dead, including Ukraine's Interior Minister, after a helicopter crashed near a kindergarten and residential buildings east of Kyiv. Three children are among the dead, with 15 more being treated in the hospital. The mayor of Kyiv now reacting.
4: Is actually the big strategy for Ukraine. I'm not ready to give it. We need to investigate, exactly investigate what uh, really happens. But right now it doesn't happen.
10: I don't want one tap and it's cancelled. Download Rocket Money today.
2: American Pain, Sunday, February 5th at 9 on CNN.
13: Closed captioning brought to you by MesoBook.com.
2: We proudly help veterans with mesothelioma. Call for a free book, 1-800-822-0400, or go to MesoBook.com.
7: Continued investigation has now allowed police to obtain an arrest warrant, charging Brian Walsh with the murder of his wife.
2: Man, this has been going on. Good morning, everyone. Poppy is off. Today It's Caitlin and I. Uh, Well, you heard from that, that. He's talking about a Massachusetts mom that has been missing for more than two weeks now. Now the husband of Anna Walsh faces arraignment on a murder charge in just hours.
3: A deadly helicopter crash also happening in the suburbs of Kiev, just hours ago. Ukraine's interior minister and three children are among the 16 people who are killed.
2: Police confirm a failed Republican candidate in New Mexico visited the homes of Democratic officials before targeting those homes with gunfire.
3: Also this morning, still no word on how Lisa Marie Presley died. The coroner has deferred a ruling after conducting an autopsy, asking for more time to investigate.
2: A very busy Wednesday, but first, the tragedy on the outskirts of Ukraine's capital. Sixteen people are dead, including Ukraine's interior minister, after a helicopter crashed near a kindergarten and residential buildings east of Kiev. Three children are among the dead, with 15 more being treated in the hospital. The mayor of Kiev now reacting.
12: It's is actually
4: a uh, big strategy for Ukraine. I'm not ready to give It's we need to investigate, exactly investigate what really happens, but right now it doesn't have information.
2: Let's get straight to Clarissa Ward now live at the scene in Ukraine for us. Clarissa, good morning. What is going on? What's the latest there?
4: Well, Don, you can probably see behind me the smoldering wreckage of that kindergarten where the helicopter hit this morning, tragically killing 16 people. All nine people on board the helicopter were killed, including the interior minister, uh, Denis Ministerski, also the deputy interior minister, the secretary of state of the interior ministry, as well as six others. And then on the ground, tragically, at least three children and their parents who were just taking them to school, Don. I mean, as if this country has not been through enough tragedy and horror in this war, now you have this on top of it. Authorities are saying they don't know exactly how this happened or why this happened, but we've been talking to a lot of people in the area, and the visibility was terrible this morning. One man told us he was outside smoking a cigarette, and he could hear the crash, but he couldn't see anything Because of the fog, another woman told us that after she heard the crash, she ran down to the kindergarten and saw children being taken out of the building, some of them still literally on fire. So this is an absolutely horrifying attack, clearly having a big impact on so many people around here. There's been a constant stream of people laying flowers, taking a minute to come and to pay their respects. And you can see those rescue workers still going through the rubble, trying to ascertain how this happened. They've been picking out large chunks uh, of, of debris, parts of the helicopter, that I think, from what we understand, sort of clipped that initial part of the kindergarten there and then crashed just over on the other side where we were earlier this morning. We saw at least four bodies covered in those gold foil blankets. But as we said, just a tragic day. 16 people
3: dead, among them at least three children, Don.
2: Just awful, Clarissa. Thank you.
3: Also this morning, in a matter of hours here in the United States, Brian Walsh is going to be arraigned in Massachusetts for the murder of his wife, Anna. The mother, as you know, of three went missing at the start of the new year, and police have uncovered a trail of possible evidence in the case, including blood and a bloody knife, Computer searches by Mr. Walsh on how to dismember and dispose of a 115-pound woman's body and a hacksaw and apparent blood stains at a trash collection site. CNN's Jason Carroll is live for CNN this morning outside the courthouse in Quincy, Massachusetts. Jason, what are we expecting to happen in just a matter of now? Because I know he had been arrested earlier on misleading investigators. What are we expecting today?
1: Well, Caitlin, as you know, we've already heard so many disturbing details in this case. And once once this arraignment gets underway, we're expected to hear even more details that, according to the district attorney's office, this is a case that has captured the attention of people here for more than two weeks. I think the number one concern is finding Anna and finding out what happened. The timeline in the mystery of what happened to Anna Walsh spans more than two weeks starting on New Year's Day. That's when her husband, Brian Walsh, claims she left their cohasset home in a rideshare or taxi to fly to Washington, D.C. for work. But prosecutors say there is no evidence Anna got a ride or went to the airport. Brian Walsh tells investigators on this day he ran errands for his mother in a nearby town, but they find no evidence those trips occurred. January 2nd, Prosecutors say Walsh went to a Home Depot and spent about $450 in cash on cleaning supplies like mops, buckets and tarps. January 4th, Anna Walsh's workplace, a D.C. real estate firm calls police to report her missing. A police log would later confirm the head of security at the firm was the first to report her missing to police and that her husband has not filed a missing person report on female her friends begin to fear the worst.
4: I think something has gone horribly, horribly wrong um, when it comes to her. January 6th,
1: police start a massive search in Cohasset. Law enforcement sources say her husband's internet records in the days following her disappearance show searches for how to dismember a body and how to dispose of a 115 pound woman's body. January 8th, Walsh is charged with misleading investigators.
7: Early in this investigation, the police developed probable cause to believe that her husband, Brian Walsh, age 47, had misled police investigators on material matters important to the search for Anna Walsh.
1: Walsh is taken into custody and a not guilty plea is entered on his behalf the next day. January 9th, prosecutors say investigators recover a bloody knife in the family basement, also finding a hacksaw and torn up pieces of cloth. With apparent blood stains at a trash facility. This, according to law enforcement sources. January seventeenth, Walsh is charged with his wife's
7: murder. Additional details of the investigation and the evidence in support of those charges are likely to be presented at arraignment.
1: And again, Caitlin, the arraignment should get underway just a few hours from now. This is at the point where we are expected to learn more information about what uh, evidence investigators have gathered connecting Brian Walsh to the murder of his wife, Anna. Caitlin?
3: We'll be watching that closely, Jason. Thank you. Also this morning, U.S. Capitol Police investigated more than 7,000 threats against members of Congress last year. 7,000, which is actually a drop from last year if you can believe that the agency's police chief says that number is still too high and that the threat of political violence in congress and beyond is obvious from the headlines starting with four elected democrats in new mexico the alleged uh, they were allegedly targeted by solomon pena he's the failed republican candidate for state legislature that was arrested by a swat team this week after being accused of orchestrating shootings at those officials homes after he visited them There's also that attack on Paul Pelosi after police say a man broke into their home three months ago, attacked him with a hammer while looking for then Speaker Nancy Pelosi. In June, it was Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Police arrested a man carrying a pistol, a knife and zip ties who was threatening to kill the justice over that leaked draft opinion on abortion. A pistol-carrying man was also arrested outside Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal's home over the summer, according to the Washington Post. She says she heard voices yelling threats late at night. And also, who could forget, would-be kidnappers that conspired to target Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer in 2020, something I spoke to her about just recently.
6: I'd be lying if I told you I'm unfazed by it. I'm an ordinary person. I've got an extraordinary job. I have served in extraordinary times. I'm a mom. You know, I'm a daughter. I'm, a, I'm a, an average person who's trying to serve my
9: state.
3: Also, Maine Senator Susan Collins says she's been receiving threats for years. She had her window smashed and said that it had this warning saying basically she wouldn't be surprised if a senator or a House member was killed. She said what started with an abusive phone call translated into active threats of violence and real violence.
2: And this morning. Police say former New Mexico State House candidate, Solomon Peña, visited the homes of at least two local Democratic leaders to protest his election loss before their homes were shot at. Ring doorbell footage captured Peña at one commissioner's former home prior to the attack. Watch this. Hello?
0: Hi, my name is Solomon Peña. Can I speak with Debbie O'Malley?
1: Um, she doesn't live
0: here Anyone? Oh. Okay, well, the public record says she owns it. Do uh, you know where she lives? Yeah, she lives around the corner. Okay, thank you. And sorry for sure. about, sorry for you. Pretty
2: brazen there. CNN's chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst, John Miller, joins us now. Good morning to you. Good morning. So, listen, the, the allegations that Solomon Pena hired people to shoot at home, the homes of four politicians in December and January following his failed bids in Mexico State House. Have you seen anything like this before?
17: No, but if we hadn't seen it, we should have seen it coming. You have the storming of the Capitol on January 6th, and who's leading it? You've got Oath keepers in tactical gear with weapons, Proud Boys. You've got uh, Proud Boys showing up in camouflage with rifles at drag queen story hours at local small town libraries across the country. You've got Nancy Pelosi's home invasion in San Francisco where the perpetrator said to police allegedly that his intent was to break her kneecaps, as an example, for Congress. So this has been coming.
3: But it's- how much of this do you think has to do with what we were talking about, what he said about the election? Yeah. You know, he went to the homes of, the, of these officials, one of the commissioners we spoke with yesterday, uh, trying to get her done to certify the votes in the election. That was before then he orchestrated these shootings, according to prosecutors. What does it say about people being unwilling to accept their election losses?
17: Well, this has become kind of a side culture, which is if you lose the election, it's not because you lost. Remember, Solomon Pena didn't lose by three points. He lost by 48 points. It it wasn't a, you know a baseline call there. So that is kind of in the playbook of this far-right extremism. And when you see the threats to Congress, which went in 2017 from under 4,000 up to 2021, 10,000, back down to 7,000. As it was going down again, threats against state officials involved in elections, county commissioners, secretaries of state were going
2: up. Yeah. It seems, so, I mean, yes, it's about the far right, as you said, but it's also a sense of entitlement that I think needs to be delved into, like, we, you know, we're, of course, we're supposed to be the winners. This is how it's supposed to be. It is our God-given and American-given
17: right it could be more to based, win an election. It could be more based than that, which yeah. is we're going to intimidate you before the election. People with rifles will be sitting around ballot boxes during the midterms. Yeah. We're going to int- intimidate you during the election. And then if it doesn't work after, which is what this was, yeah. I mean, the election was done. Shooting up the houses was just a message. Toxic entitlement. That's what I think.
2: Thank you very much, John. I appreciate it.
3: Yeah, scary for those families. Uh, now to the case against a former Alabama basketball player who has now been charged with murder. A court desp- deposition reveals that the former Crimson Tide forward, Darius Miles, admitted to providing the handgun that was used to kill 23-year-old Jamia Harris in Tuscaloosa on Sunday. The victim's family says that she was sought after she denied a man's advances. Miles and another man, Michael Davis, have both been charged with capital murder. They're being held without bond. Witnesses identified Davis as the shooter. Investigators believe the deadly incident was the result of a minor argument.
2: All right, let's talk about this. Lisa Marie Presley's cause of death has been deferred by the Los Angeles County coroner. The 54-year-old singer and songwriter died last week after being hospitalized following an apparent cardiac arrest. CNN's chief medical correspondent is, of course, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. He joins us this morning. Uh, Sanjay, good morning to you. We don't have a lot of details on... For a specific case, but in general, why might a cause of death be deferred?
18: Well, it's, it's because there wasn't a, a really obvious cause of death on the initial physical autopsy typically. And let me preface, I'll show you what some of those things might be, but preface by saying typically they, they will find a, a cause, but it can take a while, even weeks. These are some of the things that are often detected uh, on initial autopsy, a trauma, uh, obviously major bleeding. Um, something like a significant stroke, infections, uh, significant infections like a pneumonia, um, blood clots, pulmonary embolism. Those are the types of things that uh, if you see those and they're obvious that uh, within the initial physical autopsy they may come back what they cause a death, but then there are things that are deferred, and it could be for all sorts of different reasons. Um, they may want to evaluate more medical records, get more history, find out more. But they're also looking for other potential things like drugs, alcohol intoxication, uh, other toxic substances, perhaps underlying conditions, uh, heart conditions, uh, pre-existing heart conditions, things that might require to look at the the tissue with a microscope. Um, certain liver diseases, for example. So these are the types of things that. Uh, it may take a while in order for to get those results back again they they typically will get those results but with the uh, blood tests and the uh, toxicology tests those can sometimes take weeks
3: And, we can't say we don't know if lisa marie had a heart attack here those are details we're just still waiting on from the coroner, from her family but there are there is reporting and there is health you know data to back this up that sometimes heart attack symptoms are actually missed in women right
18: Yeah. I mean, this is a, this is a really big issue. You know, I think a lot of times uh, heart disease is thought of as a man's disease and just show you some numbers quickly. You know, if you look at overall diseases that are attributed to, to deaths that are attributed to heart disease, you know, there's some 382,000 in men. This is from 2020, 314,000 in women. So it's a leading cause of death for men and women alike. Heart disease. Keep that in mind so you really do have to think about heart disease for both men and women but to your question um you know chest pain is still one of the most common symptoms in both men and women shortness of breath but but also you can get other uh what would be cl- classified as more atypical symptoms that are more likely to happen in women nausea vomiting for example you wouldn't directly attribute that to a heart problem underlying heart problem back pain for example or just fatigue or jaw pain those can be things as well that can be sort of the precursors of having a more significant heart problem so you know it's it's i think a really important message like you said we don't know and we hopefully will find out you know in a few weeks what what exactly happened here but for men and women alike leading cause of death and you got to pay attention to even unusual symptoms
3: yeah it's good advice sanjay thank you for for joining us on that up next, a powerful Republican who runs one of the most high-profile Republican conferences every year has been accused of sexually assaulting another man last fall. What we're learning about the allegations and his response.
2: Plus, we're going to speak with a governor who just enacted a new gun law, but some sheriffs in the state refusing to enforce it. More CNN this morning to come after the break.
3: Matt Schlapp, a prominent Republican who chairs the American Conservative Union, which runs CPAC, that event that you often see Republican hopeful presidential candidates, Republican presidents at, is now being sued for more than $9 million by a man who says that Schlapp sexually assaulted him last fall. According to the lawsuit and CNN's reporting, the incident took place as the accuser, who was a Republican strategist working for Herschel Walker's Senate campaign, was driving Schlapp back to his hotel in Atlanta in the weeks before the November midterm elections. CNN's Kristen Holmes joins us now with more. Kristen, I know you've been reporting on the story. Uh, What's happening and what's the shape of this lawsuit looking like?
19: Well, Caitlin, there is a lot in this lawsuit. One of the most interesting things that we see is that it not only accuses Matt Schlapp of sexual battery, but it also accuses Schlapp and his wife, Mercedes Schlapp, who, as you know, served at one point as Trump's, former President Trump's communications director, of defamation and conspiracy to discredit the accuser. So what exactly are those accusations? And as you said, we reported this last week and the lawsuit really outlines what they are. These are brought by a Republican staffer in his late 30s, who alleges that Schlapp fondled his groin without consent when he was being driven back to a hotel last October. Now, an attorney for the Schlapps denies these allegations. In a statement, this is what he said. He said, the complaint is false. And the Schlapp family is suffering unbearable pain and stress due to the false allegations from an anonymous individual. No family should ever go through this. And the Schlapps and their legal team are assessing counter lawsuit options. And one thing to remind you of, Caitlin, we do not know the victim's identity in this lawsuit. They are listed as a Jane, uh, excuse me, a John Doe, and that is to protect their identity and reputation.
3: Yeah. And Kristen, as you know, when our colleague Jamie Gengel was reporting on this last week when the allegations were made before we got this lawsuit, there were text messages that had been sent between Matt Schlapp and this accuser the morning after the incident, the alleged incident took place. Does the lawsuit in any way you know, corroborate those text messages or the other claims of the accuser?
19: Yeah, there are two texts I want to point out here. One is one that CNN already uh, reported on, and it was the morning after the alleged incident. It was sent from Schlapp To this staffer, Uh, essentially what we know is that the staffer says that he texted Schlapp, said that he was uncomfortable with what had happened, that Schlapp tried to call him several times and then sent this text message. If you could see it in your heart to call me at the end of the day, I would appreciate it. If not, I wish you luck on the campaign and hope you keep up the good work. Now, one interesting thing here. There was a new text message revealed in this lawsuit, and this was sent by Mercedes Schlapp to a neighborhood group chat in which she alleges that this individual is a troubled individual and says that they were fired from multiple jobs for lying. Now, the lawsuit says that that is not true. But of course, it's clear here that that's at least in part where those defamation charges or accusations are coming from.
3: Yeah. Big questions here in that CPAC event. It's coming up in just a few months from now. Kristen Holmes, thank you so much.
2: And this morning, House Republicans are ramping up their long-promised investigation into President Biden's son, Hunter. They say messages and financial transactions found on a laptop that belongs to him raise troubling questions about whether he traded on his father's public service. It also appears that he might not be the only Biden to take advantage of the family name. CNN's Pamela Brown has more.
20: He has built his political career on promises of honesty, hard work, and a pledge that a family name means something.
13: I give my word as a Biden. I
20: give you my word as a Biden. But while Joe Biden swears by his name in politics, his son and two brothers spent years trying to benefit from the Biden name. It's all now the focus of a Republican-led congressional investigation. We want to
13: know what the Biden administration is trying to hide from the American people and why they are not being transparent.
20: Republican Congressman James Comer now chairs the House Oversight Committee and has set his sights on Joe Biden's son, Hunter, a mysterious laptop now in the hands of the fbi and long-held conspiracy theories about president joe biden and what he does or doesn't know
13: i have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period.
20: Despite his denials, a CNN review of the laptop data, as well as other public material, shows that Joe Biden did interact with some of his son's associates while serving as vice president, though it's unclear exactly what was discussed. One example, the Republican site, Miguel Aleman Magnani, a Mexican businessman and son of the former president who Hunter was trying to woo. In 2014, Aleman Magnani and his dad were photographed at the White House with then Vice President Biden. In a later email, Hunter Biden reminds Aleman Magnani of the favors he's done for him. We have been talking about business deals and partnerships for seven years. I have brought every single person you have ever asked me to bring to the effing White House and the Vice President's House and the inauguration. Hunter Biden bluntly acknowledged the power of the Biden name in a memoir, writing that the Ukrainian energy company Burisma, which put him on its board, considered my last name gold.
8: I
13: don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden.
20: Joe Biden's brothers have repeatedly referenced him in their private dealings. Frank Biden, a developer of for-profit charter schools, has invoked his brother in trying to convince local officials to approve his projects. Like in Sunrise, Florida, where he told the city in 2015 to trust his venture.
21: Not because of Frank, but because of the honor of being the brother of a guy I think we all know and
13: love. In
20: 2021, at a gathering of medical professionals, he made this pledge.
13: The bully pulpit that I have as a result of the privilege of being
22: associated with with my brother, Joey.
19: And I'll do everything
22: in my power to support you to get the job done, to get federal dollars,
21: to your research.
20: Frank Biden told CNN there has been zero interaction between his brother's public office and his private business, adding, do I engage in any way in quid pro quo on any level? Absolutely not.
13: The last name gave credibility, you know, initially.
20: Healthcare entrepreneur Michael Frey told CNN Joe Biden's other brother, James, broke financial promises he made while referencing the Biden name. Frey's company filed a lawsuit alleging fraud by James Biden, who denied the claims. Frey spoke to CNN before the lawsuit settled in 2020.
13: Everything was on the Biden name, and and so we took that to heart.
20: James Biden was also named in a lawsuit filed in July. He allegedly received about $600,000 in loans in 2018 from a company he worked with, AmeriCorps Health, based upon representations that his last name Biden could open doors and that he could obtain a large investment from the Middle East based on his political connections. The suit states that the investment was never delivered. The lawsuit was settled, though James Biden denied the allegations in court filings. He did not respond to a request for comment. Kathleen Clark, a government ethics expert, calls it all troubling. We have certainly examples of Biden family members explicitly trading on his name, trying to convince business partners to to do deals with them. that's outrageous. Even so, government ethics experts say that Biden's ethical challenges pale in comparison to Donald Trump. One of the differences is that Trump himself personally was corrupt and uh, certainly did enrich himself uh, uh, through the use of, of government power. Even the Republican congressman leading the Biden investigation raises concerns about Trump's dealings while president. And you believe there should have been more transparency with Trump and his, his family members in the business that they I, may have been doing overseas? I do.
21: I absolutely do.
20: Comer says he wants to introduce bipartisan legislation to tighten ethics laws, but the committee's first priority is the Bidens. And it is important to note there is no proof the president has done anything illegal. And we sent the White House a list of questions, including whether the president stands by his statement that he never discussed his relatives' businesses with them. In response, the White House sent us this statement. The president has pledged to restore ethics to the White House and has established the most rigorous ethics guidelines of any administration in history. No family member has or will serve in the administration or be involved in government decision making. Back to you, Don. All
2: right, Pamela Brown in Washington for us this morning. Thank you, Pamela. Thank you.
3: All right, also this morning, we now know that enjoying nature can heal the soul. It can heal your body. We're going to show you a new study that says it just might.
2: Oh boy, we need that on this schedule. Uh, (laughs) Hollywood legend, John Larroquette, get this, revealing how he was paid for his first movie gig in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You, okay, I'll wait. After the break, you'll hear (laughs) it.
3: Welcome back to CNN This Morning. Coming up, the TSA intercepting a record number of firearms at airport checkpoints in 2022. Guess what? Most of them were loaded. The governor of Illinois also today facing pushback from law enforcement after he banned assault weapons in the state. That governor, J.B. Pritzker, is going to join us live. In a deadly helicopter crash in Ukraine, the nation's interior minister and three children are among the dead. We are live on the ground in the suburbs of Kyiv with Clarissa Ward. All right, also this morning, we have all heard about the health benefits of getting outside, but now a new study shows it can actually reduce your need for medication for anxiety, asthma, high blood pressure, among others. So joining us to talk about the results of this study, who better than CNN's medical correspondent, Dr. Tara Narula? Um, this is kind of amazing. So getting outside actually means you need less medication of, of certain things. Yeah, should we go? Yeah, no. Should we get up and go outside? <laughs> yeah, right. why are we not I doing
2: this? I think know the <laughs> answer, but I'll, I'll let you, you do it. studio a, do
3: outdoors. The yeah, so this
12: is an interesting study that took place in Finland, and they basically sampled or surveyed about 6,000 random adults in three of the largest cities of Finland about their access, use, and frequenting, how often they went to green and blue spaces within one kilometer of where they lived. And they, in fact, found that those that had the highest frequency of visits to green spaces had lower use of the medications you mentioned, about a 30% reduction in their use of blood pressure medicine, in their use of mental health medications, and a little bit over 25% reduction in the use of asthma medications. But maybe more Claritin.
2: Okay. <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. I thought it was like just like vitamin D, meaning sunshine, and moving.
12: Yeah, so they can't really tell from this study what exactly the link is, but interestingly, it was not good enough to just look at green and blue spaces, so you couldn't have a view of the Hudson River, for example, and have this effect. So there's something about actually getting up and going, and so there may be a physiologic link there, both with increased physical activity that can lower your use of medications, maybe stress reduction, some other immunologic benefits, and then socialization, you're getting out and being around other people, so there is potentially that biological
3: link that that could make this make sense. Yeah.
2: This next thing is me.
3: <laughs> it's the opposite of me. Yeah. I like hate procrastinating, um, but you actually have reporting on how it can it can. You're not just missing a deadline or late to something. It can actually have a, a poor effect on. John's health. <laughs> yeah. So you're a procrastinator. A I'm the opposite. I get
12: stressed out by procrastination, but <laughs> this was a study of about 3000 Swedish university students. So another Scandinavian study, and they surveyed them about how much they procrastinated. There's actually a procrastination scale who knew that that existed. Um, and then they followed their health outcomes over about nine months. And they found that those that had the highest amount of procrastination at nine months had worse mental health, more upper body pain, more loneliness, economic situation. Um, So the the associations were small, but the authors of the study say, look, if we follow them for longer periods of time than just nine months, maybe we would see larger impacts here. And then there may be something there to work on, to target.
2: I need a deadline. (laughs) Because I work better under deadline or under pressure. I'm, as we say, the red light person. When the camera goes on, then I'm whatever, right? So the same thing with a deadline. If the deadline is there, then I'm going to do it. But... um, I don't know. As you said, it's, it's you have to see what the long term effects are. Exactly. I'm a loner, and I'm a procrastinator. You're not a
12: loner. I would never oh, have yes, thought that.
2: You didn't. You didn't know that, did you?
12: I don't get a loner vibe. <laughs> just, on you. I'm
2: like, why are these people talking so much, even in my house? I'm like, I don't talk so much.
3: Don't I talk to, about the dogs like that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Barkley. Barkley. That's his problem. He barks too much. Um, yeah. So. You're a loner. I, I know. Have people, no idea. People have no idea. I
12: would never suspect. Yeah.
2: Love it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Doctor. Thank Appreciate you. it. You can go to CNN.com to read the full article on procrastination. Sorry. Don't do that one. I've read Caitlin's thing. I've
3: stuff. already read Sorry. it because I don't procrastinate. <laughs> <laughs> are that, was good yeah. that
2: was a good one. That was a good one. So there's this long-standing online rumor revealed to be true. Actor John Larquette now admits that he was paid in marijuana. For his narration used in the 1974 film the texas chainsaw massacre it was rumored that he was the voice behind the introductory narration but it was never confirmed watch this
13: the film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths
2: so Laraquette told parade magazine that the director toby harper gave me some marijuana or a matchbox or whatever you called it in those days. I walked out of the recording studio and patted him on the back, uh, on the back side and said, good luck to you, you can't do that these days. Uh, the low-budget movie spawned a franchise and Lara Kett narrated those as well, but for the sequels, he earned an actual paycheck each time. So now, you know, paid in little...
3: Fun <laughs> way to get paid. <laughs> Everyone. It's like everyone in studio is like... <laughs>
2: so does anyone even do that anymore? Like, or is it just gummies or edibles?
3: That's a whole other Everybody's like, I don't, I don't
0: know. know.
2: Just, I heard. That's what I heard.
12: People okay. still do it,
2: Is that true, Doctor?
12: Yeah. Okay. I hear all people's inner we workings hear. and secrets in the exam room. So. Let's do some oh. research after the show.
2: <laughs> All right, so Illinois governor at odds with the dozens of sheriffs in his state who say that they won't enforce his new assault weapons ban. Coming up, we're going to talk to Governor J.B. Pritzker of Illinois.
3: Also, a scary moment was caught on camera as gunshots were fired at the end of a high school basketball game. We have the details
12: of what you're seeing here
3: next. More CNN this morning to come after the break.
2: All right, welcome back, everyone. This morning, the TSA revealing someone attempted to bring a weapon with an anti-tank level firepower onto a Texas flight this week. Agents said that they found the undeclared weapon in checked luggage and alerted police. That, as the agency says, it intercepted a record number of firearms at airport security checkpoints in 2022. The TSA confiscated more than 6,500 firearms that year. Last year, I should say, and 88 percent of them Were loaded. Number of firearms caught at checkpoints has risen every year since 2010, except for 2020 when the pandemic limited travel. And this terrifying moments last night at the Oklahoma High School basketball game. John Smith Fieldhouse, tonight where the Millwood Falcons fall. We'll go to break. Wow, what the hell? Announcers and fans forced to take cover when gunshots rang out moments after a game between Millwood High and Dell City. At least one man was shot and taken to the hospital. There were more than 500 people inside the facility when the shots were fired. The principal of Dell City High says the school will shift to a virtual learning day today.
3: Also today, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker is getting major pushback from law enforcement after he became the ninth governor to ban military-style firearms. The law would stop the sale of assault weapons and cap the sale of high-capacity ammunition magazines. It makes it illegal to convert legal handguns into assault weapons. And it would also require those who own semi-automatic guns to register them with state police. Dozens of sheriffs across Illinois say they won't enforce the newly enacted assault weapons ban, though, with one sheriff writing that it's a clear violation of the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, said they won't check to make sure that lawful gun owners, they say, have registered their weapons, as some Republican officials in the state are standing with those sheriffs and calling out the governor.
13: The majority of them said they're not going to enforce this because it's unconstitutional and it's unenforceable. And Tucker, man, I think that we are in danger of losing our country if we don't stand up, if we don't wake up. And, you know, I didn't leave the farm to go to the General Assembly to stand by and watch somebody like J.B. Pritzker trash our Constitution.
3: Joining us now is the Democratic governor of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker, who is joining us from the World Economic Forum annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland. That's why he's got that beautiful backdrop behind him. But, Governor, the legal battles against this bill or that you signed into law are already underway. Do you think it's going to be able to withstand those challenges?
15: Well, the NRA said they were going to challenge this in court because they couldn't win in the legislature. Frankly, the vast majority of the people of the state support an assault weapons ban. Uh, And it's a lot of political grandstanding by elected Republican sheriffs uh, you're hearing from. The truth is that there's nothing for them to enforce at this point. Uh, The fact is that uh, right now uh, we have one year for people to register the serial numbers of their assault weapons that are in existence. And of course, we've outlawed the purchase or sale of any of those types of weapons in Illinois going forward. So uh, I think you're just seeing a lot of politics and we'll let the courts play it out.
3: For the sheriffs who say they're not going to enforce that ban for people, or they're not going to enforce it and go around and go door to door and make sure people have registered those weapons, what do you say to them?
15: Well, there's no going door to door and knocking on people's doors, asking them uh, to see their weapons or that they've registered them. So that's, again, a lot of political grandstanding. Uh, They took an oath of office, though, to enforce the law. And when the law goes into effect where someone is caught with a weapon that isn't registered, they'll enforce it. I mean, we have lots of law enforcement in the state of Illinois. Elected sheriffs are just one level of law enforcement. We have local police, we have state police, uh, lots of folks who will hold people accountable. But these sheriffs know better. They know that their voters won't stand for it if they're not enforcing the law. And one last thing, you showed one of the uh, very, very small minority of legislators who voted against this thing, uh, who has been claiming all along that this is unconstitutional. The fact is that it's in existence, this assault weapons ban in eight other states. We're simply the ninth.
3: That is true. You are simply the ninth. But a question of the courts and whether or not this can withstand those challenges. You know, Just last week, we heard from Justices Thomas and Alito, who were basically sending a clear message that they believe those who should keep the pressure on the courts, gun rights owners, uh, that they should keep the pressure on the courts. So I guess my question is, what's driving your confidence that this law you signed will be able to stand the challenges from courts?
15: The fact that there are have been challenges of other states' assault weapons bans, uh, we're simply copying, frankly, what's been done in other states. In fact, ours is perhaps one of the most stringent, but it fits within the confines of what is constitutional and acceptable. Lots of constitutional scholars have said that about our law. But again, uh, who knows this Supreme Court, certainly a very right wing one. Uh, and we'll have to let the courts play this out. I don't think Alito and Thomas are the deciding factor, though, uh, in an assault weapons ban. we're not allowing people to, you know, in the United States to have, uh, you know, massive weapons of war, uh, you know, where they get to fire shoulder fired missiles or anything like that. And you know that assault weapons are killing literally dozens of people at a time uh, and injuring many, many more. So uh, this is the type of weapon that should be kept off the streets. We're not taking anybody's guns away, by the way. No guns are being confiscated under this law. We are stopping the sale uh, and uh, f- you know, future acquisition of these kinds of weapons, though.
3: You're in Davos right now, and there was a moment on stage yesterday where you were critical of lawmakers who you said have been reluctant to help President Biden get his agenda passed. You were sitting on stage with Senator Kirsten Cinema and Senator Joe Manchin. I want to play a moment from yesterday of what happened as you guys were sitting there on stage together.
15: Let me say about the current president of the United States, he has gotten things done. Now, he has worked with some reluctant members of his own party. He's worked with some uh, reluctant members of the opposite party. But we have gotten things done for the United States at the federal level under this president. And so while
20: some would say that there were reluctant folks working in Congress in the last two years, I would actually say that that was the basis for the productivity for some incredible achievements that made a difference for the American people in the last two years.
21: And we still don't agree on getting rid of the
13: filibuster that's correct
3: you see that high five there at the end from mansion and cinema what was your reaction to that
15: well look i i am glad that they voted for the president's plan uh, but the fact is they've held up a whole bunch of other things like voting rights uh, legislation. And uh, and look, I, I I think that the president did an amazing job really, you know, persevering very difficult circumstances with a couple of Democrats who really weren't working together uh, with other members of the party. So uh, I am glad that we got a lot done. Uh, I wish we could get more done. And I actually think that now that it's 51-49, we will get more done in the Senate. The problem, of course, now is Kevin McCarthy in the House and the, you know, the radical right wing in the House that's basically in control now of that uh, legislature.
3: You also talked about inflation while you're in Davos and talking about how difficult you believe it's going to be to get to that 2% goal uh, that we've heard analysts have here. Do you think it's time for the Federal Reserve to rethink its strategy of raising interest rates?
15: I... look, I think they should focus on bringing down inflation. But the reality is that you can't raise interest rates forever. uh, And you don't want the United States to go into a serious recession. I think that you're seeing a slowing down of our economy and you're seeing a, uh, a reduction of inflation. And I think that's just right. They should be cognizant of that and careful as they move forward about you know how much they're raising the interest rates.
3: Governor, you're also, obviously, as you know, a prominent Democrat, and the Biden administration has been facing criticism, even from some in your party recently, over the handling of the classified documents situation that is now being investigated by a special counsel at the Justice Department. One matter of contention is that it took several months before when those documents were discovered on November 2nd, and when they were actually reported on January 9th, when the public became aware of them, which was only because CBS News had reported it. Do you believe the White House has fumbled the response here on having these classified documents in President Biden's possession?
15: Well, I think it's appropriate to have an independent counsel and for the White House to be fully transparent. But I got to tell you that it, this is vastly different than the situation with Trump, where he was literally hiding documents and refusing to turn them over, whereas this White House, uh, has turned them over and has, uh, in fact, encouraged, uh, an investigation. So I, I, you know, I, I want to say that as fast as people found them, they should turn them over, but, uh, vastly different than what happened with, uh, the Mar-a-Lago incident where they literally had to raid Mar-a-Lago in order to recover those documents.
3: It is very different scenarios. We've covered them both as such, but do you think that the White House has been forthcoming enough about these documents since they did not make this information publicly known?
15: Well, I don't know all the circumstances around the timing of the finding of the documents and um, whether they knew that they were classified at the moment that they discovered them uh, and all the protocols involved. What I can tell you is that uh, they have worked very hard to find any other documents. As you've seen, they've turned over any others that they've come across. I think they came across one more. Um, But again, I I think there should be an investigation. Uh, I think that having an independent counsel is the right thing to do uh, and that the White House needs to be fully transparent about this.
3: Governor, before I let you go, I I lived in Washington for several years. There are often conversations among Democrats about who might have presidential ambitions. Your name has come up in some of those conversations that I've had. You were in New Hampshire last year giving a speech. You were also in Florida giving a speech as well. Do you have presidential ambitions? Have you thought about running for, for a higher office?
15: Well, I traveled the country to support Democrats across the nation, uh, and you saw that we were successful at least holding back a a, a tide of, uh, you know, red wave uh, and did very well in Illinois, I might add. Uh, So, look, I fully intend to serve out uh, four years as governor of Illinois, and I intend to support the president in his reelection bid. He said he's running. I hope that we'll have a convention in the city of Chicago in order to celebrate that and to nominate him and put him forward for reelection. And he will get reelected in 24.
3: But have you ever thought about it?
15: (laughs) My focus is on all the challenges we have in the state of Illinois.
3: All right, Governor Pritzker, thank you so much. I know you got a busy day there in Davos. Thank you for taking some time to join us to, to weigh in on all of these really important issues.
15: Glad to be with you.
2: So he's saying there's a chance. <laughs> Everybody's thought about it. All the politicians have thought about it, don't you think?
3: I, I think a lot of them. I mean, he's certainly been asked about it many yeah. times, including there, of course.
2: Instead of pushing George Santos to quit, Republicans just appointed him to two House committees. Marjorie Taylor Greene also appointed to two key committees. That's next. Good morning. Breaking news out of Ukraine a helicopter crashing into a kindergarten, killing top members of the Ukrainian government. Our close award is there live.
3: Just a short time from now, the husband of the mother who disappeared nearly three weeks ago will be charged with her murder. The new evidence that is leading investigators to this decision.
2: New video shows the losing Republican candidate visiting the homes of Democrats before he allegedly organized the shootings that targeted them. The district attorney will join us
0: live.
3: She once pushed 9-11 conspiracy theories and supported QAnon lies. Now Marjorie Taylor Greene is sitting on a committee, a powerful one with access to some of the nation's most sensitive secrets.
2: And speaking of committees, George Santos will sit on the small business committee even though he told lie after lie about his business experience. CNN This Morning starts right now. But first, tragedy on the outskirts of Ukraine's capital. 17 people are dead, including Ukraine's interior minister after a helicopter crashed near a kindergarten and residential buildings east of Kyiv.
13: Zero
1: heartburn. E-oh, E-oh.
13: And Doug.
18: Hey
22: man, nice base. Clearly you're a safe driver. You could save hundreds for safe driving with Liberty Mutual.
18: They customize your car
23: insurance so you only pay for what you need.
22: <laughs> Woo! We got to go again.
13: <laughs> Only pay for what you need. Liberty, Liberty,
22: Liberty, Liberty. 92% still active because of some bike? Wait, that's not a bike.
23: Keep an eye on that form, Peloton. Well, that's definitely not a bike.
16: Can a bike do this?
1: 92% stick with it. So can you. Start a 30-day home trial today. Terms apply.
2: Good morning, breaking news out of Ukraine. A helicopter crashing into a kindergarten, killing top members of the Ukrainian government. Our close award is there, live.
3: Just a short time from now, the husband of the mother who disappeared nearly three weeks ago will be charged with her murder. The new evidence that is leading investigators to this decision.
2: New video shows the losing Republican candidate visiting the homes of Democrats before he allegedly organized the shootings that targeted them. The district attorney will join us
3: live. She once pushed 9-11 conspiracy theories and supported QAnon lies. Now Marjorie Taylor Greene is sitting on a committee, a powerful one, with access to some of the nation's most sensitive secrets.
2: And speaking of committees, George Santos will sit on the small business committee, even though he told lie after lie about his business experience. CNN This Morning starts right now. But first, tragedy on the outskirts of Ukraine's capital. 17 people are dead, including Ukraine's interior minister, after a helicopter crashed near a kindergarten and residential buildings east of Kiev. Four children are among the dead, with 11 more being treated in the hospital. Straight to CNN's St. Clarissa Ward, live for us at the scene now in Ukraine. What are you seeing, Clarissa?
4: Don, well, you can probably see behind me there are still rescue workers on the scene here. They have been combing through that building for hours now, trying to make sure uh, that there is nobody else inside because basically this is where the helicopter crashed. The building right behind me was clipped, then the helicopter nosedived into the playground at the back of the kindergarten. We know that all nine people who were on board the helicopter, including this country's interior minister, uh, Denis Ministerski, the deputy interior minister, the secretary of state of the interior ministry, as well as six others on board that helicopter, they were all killed immediately. Also among the dead, children and parents who were just bringing their kids to school here, Don. Uh, I spoke to one woman who said that she didn't see the crash; she heard it, and that when she ran out towards the kindergarten, she saw children being rescued from the scene. Some of them were literally on fire because the jet fuel led to a massive blaze. And when our team arrived on the scene, saw at least four bodies on the ground. Uh, there's wreckage everywhere in there from the helicopter. We've seen them remove some large pieces of the chopper just in the last hour. But so far, we don't know yet what caused this. It was bad weather this morning. Another man said he was smoking a cigarette on his balcony and he couldn't even see. He could only hear the crash because the fog was so thick. But we don't yet know conclusively. Authorities here are saying that they are looking into every possible potential angle, but needless to say, a truly tragic day in a country that has already experienced so much horror, so much sadness, and so much loss.
2: Right on. Clarissa Ward, thank you very much.
3: Also this morning, the attorney who was the first one to discover those classified documents in President Biden's office has been interviewed by federal investigators The personal attorney, Patrick Moore, made the discovery as he was packing up the office for the president. The administration turned over those documents, as we know, to the National Archives the next day. They vowed to keep up that kind of cooperation as they have found more documents.
0: The president has been clear, we
1: will absolutely fully and we have fully cooperated with the Justice Department. Certainly, uh, we we are aware of congressional concerns and we'll answer those concerns fully appropriately. You can expect that the cooperation that this administration has exhibited to date will absolutely continue going forward.
3: Paula Reed is live in Washington. Paula, what do we know about this interview of Biden's personal attorney and, and how fast it happened?
8: Well, Caitlin, of course, Moore is at the center of this document discovery. So anyone looking at this is going to want to talk to him. What was interesting that we learned in our reporting is that this was not the kind of interview that involved a 302. That is the form that the government uses to memorialize interviews. So that suggests this was more of an informal conversation. But, of course, this was not a formal criminal investigation. This was just a review of the facts to determine whether or not a special counsel should be appointed. But this also suggests that special counsel Robert Herr is not going to get a lot of evidence. There's not a big paper trail here for him. But now that he is working on putting together his team, once he completes that, he will have the opportunity to conduct other interviews, to re-interview people, like more if he wants. He can also avail himself of using a grand jury, something that the U.S. attorney in Chicago did not do during his review. And Paula, we also have this new letter this morning from the National Archives
3: to James Comer, who's the chairman, as you know, of the House Oversight Committee, essentially saying they need to talk to the Justice Department before they can provide him with any of the information he's requesting. What else are they saying to to Congressman Comer?
8: That's exactly right. They're saying, look, we don't want to get in the way of an ongoing criminal investigation. So we have to consult with the Justice Department. They have to consult with the special counsel before we can share anything with you. They also push back on criticism that the archives has somehow treated President Biden's case differently than former President Trump's case, specifically noting that they did not publicly disclose their conversations with former President Trump until nine months after they began, once they were reported in the press. They also note here that they've already met with lawmakers to discuss all the things that they are demanding. But, of course, this response is unlikely to quell uh, claims by Republicans that there is somehow some sort of double standard in these two cases. Because, of course, we know from our reporting that these are two very different cases. And so far, it does appear that the Archives is handling and proceeding pretty much the same way. Yeah, it says the National Archives
3: had no knowledge of that role, of the raid that happened at at Mar-a-Lago before it actually occurred. Paula Reed, I know you're staying on top of this, so thank you.
2: Also in Washington, French Congressman Marjorie Taylor Greene is now officially an insider. The once shunned conspiracy theorist has landed a pair of powerful committee assignments, Homeland Security and Oversight. Now, I want to underline that point. The same woman who pushed 9-11 conspiracy theories is now on the Homeland Security Committee. And that's just scratching the surface.
7: A so-called plane that crashed into the Pentagon. It's odd, there's never any evidence shown for a plane in the Pentagon. There is an Islamic invasion into our government offices right now. How do you get avid gun owners and people that support the Second Amendment to give up their guns? Maybe you accomplish that by performing a mass shooting into a crowd. You make them scared, you make them victims, and you change their mindset. Kennedy getting killed in the plane crash, that's another one of those... um, Clinton murders, right? We're talking about who is Q, so I'm going to tell you what he says. According to him, many in our government are actively worshipping Satan, or they call Moloch. Q is saying that they participate in pedophilia and spirit cooking. We already saw there was an email, came out of the WikiLeaks emails, where Cheryl, was it Cheryl Moles, and she told Hillary Clinton in an email that she was going to sacrifice a chicken to Moloch in her backyard. Saudi Arabia the Rothschilds, and Soros, he says, are the puppet masters that fund this global evil. There's a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take this global cable of Satan-worshipping pedophiles out.
2: Don't forget about Jewish space lasers. The Homeland Security Committee oversees the border and will likely play a role in the potential impeachment of DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, And a seat on the Oversight Committee will put her in a position to investigate President Joe Biden. It's a lot of power for someone who was stripped of her committee assignments two years ago because of her extreme views.
3: Not just Marjorie Taylor Greene, another Republican in the House has also been placed on committees to some controversy. Newly elected Congressman George Santos is not on one but two different committees, despite growing pressure from her, for him to resign because of the lies and exaggerations and fabrications he has made about his resume and background. Uh, a good chunk of those lies actually had to do with his business experience. One of the committees he's going to serve on is the Committee on Small Business. He did not get the financial committee that he wanted to be on, though. The other that he is going to be sitting on is the Committee on Science, Space, and Technology. Some of Santos's Republican colleagues are defending the decision to give him those committee seats.
2: Why, what do you, you know, they're concerned about his past. Why give him committee assignments? Well, I mean, again, he, he hasn't committed a crime. He hasn't been indicted on anything at this point. And in this country, you're innocent until proven guilty. So mm-hmm. we're going to uh, treat him like any other member and, you know, keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. Keep an eye on it.
3: For perspective now, I want to bring in Miles Taylor, former chief of staff at the Department of Homeland Security during the Trump administration. Miles, I mean, neither of these are really plum assignments. They're not ones that a lot of lawmakers are seeking to get. But the fact that he did still get two committee assignments seems to be an obvious indication of how Republican leaders are going to deal with George Santos.
22: Yeah, it says a lot, Caitlin, about what they're going to try to do. But I think even more significantly is where they didn't put George Santos. So my sources on Capitol Hill tell me that they had originally considered him for several national security committees, but decided against it because they didn't want to trust George Santos with classified information. So that tells you two things. One, it tells you they view something like the Small Business Committee as a throwaway committee. And two, that I guess somewhere within the Republican caucus, they do draw a line on which members they do and don't trust with classified information. And given all of the allegations surrounding George Santos, they decided to put him in, in quote, safer committees.
2: I wonder, uh, Miles, if, if there is, I don't want to say sleight of hand there, if they're not telling him everything. Because I would imagine that he thinks that, oh, I'm all good with everyone and I have these committee assignments. But are they essentially meeting behind closed doors and we can't trust this, trust this guy with this or, as my mom would say, uh, treating him with a long handle spoon?
22: Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, I think that they're probably trying to put George Santos in the place that they think he can do the least amount of damage. Uh, I, I would like to say to the country, but probably the reality is they're trying to put him somewhere where he can do the least amount of damage to the party and to the House Republican caucus before they're told by the House Ethics Committee, you know, where they stand on the things that George Santos did. I mean, you have to note that Kevin McCarthy and others keep trying to buy themselves time when it comes to George Santos by saying it will go through normal processes. In other words, that the Ethics Committee will look into the allegations and then provide a recommendation. In the meantime, they want to handle him with kid gloves.
3: Yeah, because the Ethics Committee moves famously very quickly i'm kidding it does uh, not yeah, it's no, sorry, so sorry. sluggish sorry. uh miles what's your what's your reaction to marjorie taylor green being placed on the homeland security committee
2: and the oversight committee as well yeah
22: you? i mean look no doubt i mean what if i was still chief of staff at the department of homeland security i would tell the department something right now i would tell them you are not to brief her without my authorization i don't think dhs I don't think the intelligence community should trust this member of Congress. That's not speculative, that's based on what she's said in the past. But even more significant is this, she is on the committee that's responsible for preventing acts of domestic terrorism. Now, the January 6th attack on the US Capitol was by definition the largest domestic terrorism attack on the United States in a generation. Mm -hmm. And what did Marjorie Taylor Greene say about that attack? If she had been in charge, quote, we would have won. That's extremely alarming. In addition, the committee oversees election security. She tried to overturn an election. And of course, as we've talked about, it receives very sensitive intelligence. And in the past, she's accused the intelligence community of uh, of running deep state operations against Americans. So you really worry what she'll do with the information she gets on that committee. And remember, Donald Trump is always a phone call away. She's in regular touch with him, uh, as we've seen from pictures from the House floor during Kevin McCarthy's uh, speakership battle.
2: Interesting. Six Republicans have now placed six people who question the results of the 2020 election on Homeland Security Committee, seven more on the Judiciary Committee. That kind of tells you where the GOP is going and the American people are going to have to hang on for the ride. Miles, appreciate
3: it. Well, and also remember, I mean, that was Marjorie Taylor Greene became a close ally of Kevin McCarthy's in that speaker fight because he promised her a seat From on the, the oversight committee. Uh, All right, this morning, also, there is some chilling new video of the failed New Mexico State House candidate visiting the homes of local Democratic leaders. You see him here on this footage before investigators say he orchestrated a conspiracy to target their homes with gunfire. We're going to talk to the district attorney who is handling the case with his questions next.
2: And an attempted kidnapping of a barista. It's all caught on video. Something else that was caught on video. What police are saying about the disturbing encounter next. More CNN this morning to come after the break.
3: Caught on tape. This video showing the moment a man was trying to kidnap a barista from a drive-thru window. This incident took place around 5 a.m. Monday. It was in Washington State. You can see the barista was trying to hand the man change when suddenly he grabbed her arm, yanked it toward him. Police say the suspect is trying to drag her through the window with a zip tie. The woman suffered minor cuts to her arms. And the police do now say the suspect is under arrest, thanks to overwhelming support from the community. Just remarkable.
2: So failed Republican candidate for New Mexico state legislature, Solomon Pena, is set to be arraigned later today. Investigators say Pena ordered or directly participated in a series of shootings at the homes of local and state Democratic officials after refusing to accept the results of his landslide election loss. This past November. Now, he has posted repeatedly to social media saying that the election was rigged. He has been charged with 15 felonies so far and authorities are calling Pena the ringleader of the string of shootings. So join me now, Bernalillo County's District Attorney, Sam Bregman. Um, D.A. Bregman, thank you so much for joining us. Really disturbing story. Key pieces of evidence that link Pena to these shootings. What do you have?
11: Well, we we obviously have the the gunshots fired, the casings. We, you know, we, we there's a there's a lot of evidence there. We we have um, the uh, electronic um, communications. We 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 have a significant amount of evidence, and we're very confident in our case moving forward.
2: I want to ask you because I wonder if the, one of the key pieces of evidence is this uh, ring doorbell video showing Pena. Uh, looking for Debbie O'Malley and an address where she once lived. She didn't live there when he went, but there it is right there. What, what do you think about the efforts to speak to these officials in this video?
11: Well, certainly it, it clearly puts them at, at people's residences before uh, the actual events occurred and the crimes occurred. But, um, yeah, it indicates that. But thank God no one was hurt on this. Thank God... Um, we don't have victims, of more, more severe victims, in other words, hurt individuals. But, yeah, it puts, them, it puts them at the residences.
2: Yeah. I've got to ask you about this, um, which is interesting because there's this confidential source that has told officials that Peña tried to – he instructed shooters to aim low and around 8 p.m. because the targets would, would likely be lying down. I mean, what is that all about? This was clearly – if true clearly thought out
11: listen th- this is and when when you attack elected officials with violence it is an attack on our democracy it is unacceptable at every level it doesn't matter if they're democrats or republicans this kind of violence carrying out your polit- politics or election denying or whatever it might be in the in it with acts of violence shooting firearms into homes uh, is unacceptable. We're gonna do everything uh, we can to bring all the individuals involved, including Mr. Pena, to justice. and we are going um, we're gonna, we're gonna take care of this in a way to make sure that we're doing everything we can to because this is this is an attack on the entire community, right? This isn't just this is an attack on democracy and we're gonna do something about it and, and I'm looking forward I'm gonna actually prosecute this case personally.
2: Okay, so let's talk about then some, some more of the evidence, because you have the video. And then we were showing pictures. You saw him there with guns and um, his, him in a car with other people. But um, the Albuquerque Police Department have released photos that says that they recovered from Pena's phone. They show him posing with guns, driving in a car with another man. There's the, the gun photo right there. Uh, there's the one of him in the car with another man. The significance of these photos...
11: Well, it, it it clearly puts some of the the, the folks together it it, it clearly um, shows the kind of weaponry um, that was being used um, it clearly shows um, a certain mentality here that we're dealing with and um, and it's not just that it's the for example all the the, the social media posting I mean we there it is clear that this has been politically motivated in every way, shape, and form, and that's um, that's
2: unacceptable. Why is this so important? You said you're going to prosecute this yourself. Why is this one so important to you?
11: Because this was a the, listen. Every act of violence is unacceptable in Bernalillo County and in Albuquerque, and uh, this office, um, the career prosecutors, do a tremendous job at that. But, but I, I think. Um, the importance for the community you know quite frankly the, the community is pissed off about this stuff and so am i and I, uh, I i i took this this job with the with the idea that i was going i, I love being in the courtroom that i was going to prosecute some some cases and this is an important case for the entire community and we cannot have elected officials being elected to office and then being terrified intimi- or attempted to be uh, terrified and, and intimidated um, we're going to hold people responsible when they commit crimes, all levels of crimes, and especially this kind of political violence
2: is absolutely unacceptable. All right, Bernalillo District Bregman. Attorney Sam Bregman, thank you. I appreciate. It. Please come back and update us. Thank you.
3: Thank you. He's got quite a case on his hands to deal with. Yeah. 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 Also, this morning, a voting system error has altered the outcome of a local election in New Jersey.
2: And the Labor Department about to release a key inflation report. We're going to bring you those numbers. That's next.
3: All right. A voting system error altered the outcome of a local election in New Jersey. Monmouth County's election systems vendor reports that a technician mistakenly uploaded votes two times from a USB during last November's election, which impacted a single race there. CNN's Omar Jimenez is covering this and reporting on it here. Omar, what exactly was the error? What happened here?
0: Yeah, so the, so the Monmouth County election vendor, election system basically said that this goes back to last July. They were reinstalling some software and that there was an error that missed a step that would have caught double counting of votes. That didn't happen. And so we ended up with a situation where they say some, a technician inadvertently double counted votes as a USB drive was being uploaded. Bottom line, this changed the results of an actual race, even though it was very, very small. So, Steve Clayton, this is a local school board race, I I talked to him, he thought he won, and now he found out only yesterday, actually, you didn't win. And he told me this morning that it has been very difficult. I was elected two months ago, declared, certified the winner, got sworn in before friends and family on January 3rd, worked very hard to return to the board he had previously served, walked 21 miles the day before the election, earning votes through canvassing. Uh, and, and this was a race that initially came down to just 20 votes. So whatever the new Difference is now he told me that he hasn't given up yet. He's going to try to file for a recount because he says with anything this close, might as well see what happens. But obviously it's very concerning. And we've reached out to the county, the, the state officials as well for more details on how this could have happened and haven't heard back. But obviously concerning when you look at this. Didn't happen on a widespread, wide range in any manner, but obviously... They, they so think loud. this is just an error, nothing nefarious, and we don't know at this point. They, at this point, at least the election system, thinks it's nothing nefarious. They know why this happened, but we're still trying to figure out what prompted basically an audit of this election that came from the county. We don't know what that specific reason was, but at least the election system says it was for this reason. Doesn't seem to be anything crazy. Right.
3: Yeah, we'll see how he handles it. I mean, of course, you know, we've been talking all morning about what's happening with... Uh, Solomon Pena and how he handled his election loss that was clear as day. Uh, Omar Jimenez, different thank you for him. that report. Yeah, yeah quite different. Justin, another new charge for the husband of the mother who disappeared three weeks ago. This as he is set to be arraigned for her murder today. We're live outside the courthouse with brand new details next. Mm.
2: I mean, one of the best movies ever. Ghost might be coming back to life thanks to. But I'm bum, Channing Tatum. In a new Vanity Fair interview, Channing Tatum says that his production company has the rights to the iconic Patrick Swayze film, and he is thinking about a remake. Tatum would potentially take on Swayze's role. He says that the new movie would be different to avoid some of the now problematic stereotypes in the original. Uh, The original starred Swayze, Demi Moore, and Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg as they confront the spirit, world, and afterlife. Goldberg also won an award for Best Supporting Actress for her role, You in Danger, Girl. Do you remember that? You in Danger, Girl. Are we in danger? <laughs> are we in danger? That's a good question girl. for Christine Romans. That, <laughs> <laughs> that was one of <laughs> no. You're in danger, girl. So the Labor Department now releasing a new key inflation report. So are we in danger? What's going on? Danger
6: appears uh, to uh, have passed. I mean, look, good. inflation's still too high, but it's coming down. This is more confirmation, folks, of what we've been telling you for the past few months. A year-over-year inflation producer price index. This is factory floor in inflation 6.2%. That is the slowest since March 2021. And when you look from month to month, and this is what we We want to see from November to December prices, wholesale prices fell 0.5 percent, falling prices, something we haven't been able to say very often. When you look at the bar chart here that I always say, you know, the trend is your friend, you can see how that price peak seems to be behind us. This is still Way too high for the Fed's comfort. They want something more around, you know, the 2% range for consumer prices. But um, coming back down to earth there. And we also got a double whammy this morning of of news about the economy, right? We got retail sales from December, the last month of the year. And uh, retail sales fell a little bit year over year. They're up 6%, but they fell from month to month. And when you look at the last couple of months, this shows, I think, when we pull up the bar chart here, I think this shows that consumers are getting picky. They're tired of higher prices. They're looking for lower prices. We've seen some big name brands realize they can't keep passing on price hikes to consumers. Um, there's this old saying, you've heard me say this before about the oil market, but, you know, high prices can cure high prices. At some point, uh, consumers are like, you know what, I think I'm going to just rein in a little bit because I, I don't I want to keep paying high prices. And that can actually help cool inflation. So th- that's a couple of the things that we're seeing here this morning in terms of the economy.
2: But overall, big, big pictures, because people at home are wondering, yeah. this is this good? Is it for 401k for the future of inflation, for rates and all that? Yeah. Are we moving in the right direction? I
6: mean, I think you can expect interest rates to keep rising official interest rates this year, but the stock market is up in the beginning of the year after a terrible year last year, so the 401k seems to have stabilized a little bit. Um, used car prices are coming down. New car prices are coming down, too. I think that's an important sign for people, you know, as you're trying to build your life and maybe uh, change out your car. Uh, so I think that the worst price increases of the past year are behind us, and we're getting to a little bit of equilibrium here. Well, in the words of... Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker just told us you
3: can't raise interest rates forever. The White House, though, they're going to take credit for inflation in the numbers here today. They have said that this has to do with Biden's economic plan and his message. Do they
6: deserve credit for that? Well, there are all kinds of different levers that they have pulled. I think more than anything, you have supply chains that are starting to work themselves out. You have corporate managers who have figured out how to try to move around um, higher prices. You had those artificial increases in, in used car prices and new car prices, those are coming down as chips become more available. They can actually get cars off the lot. So I, I'd say, Caitlin, it's a really complicated picture. There are a lot of lot of reasons. And I don't think you can put, you know, why inflation is falling on a bumper sticker. You know, it's just way more, way more complicated than that. But inflation is cooling, and I think that is the bottom line.
2: Christine, thank you.
6: A bumper Appreciate sticker it. on your car that is costing less, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. And, and cheaper
2: Romans.
1: gas, hopefully.
3: Yeah, thank you. All right, Justin, we have some breaking news. Brian Walsh has just arrived at a court in Quincy, Massachusetts, where he is going to be arraigned on a murder charge accused in the death of his wife, Anna. The wife, the mother of three, has not been seen for two and a half weeks. Police have uncovered a lot of evidence in that time period. Walsh is also now facing a charge of improper transport of a body. CNN's Jason Carroll is live outside the courthouse where he just arrived in Quincy, Massachusetts. Jason, this this new charge is a development. What do we know about it and what are we expecting today?
1: Well, once this arraignment gets underway, and now that Walsh is here, uh, expecting that to happen uh, sometime this morning or later this morning, uh, the DA has already indicated that more evidence, more details will be released during this arraignment. So what could that look like, Caitlin? It could possibly be more forensic evidence is revealed in this case. You remember uh, investigators retrieved that hacksaw from that uh, facility, that trash facility. Uh, in North Boston. They also retrieved a bloody knife from the home, blood on the floor. So if there's any way after running DNA or blood tests from some of those items, they can connect that to Anna Walsh. That would be forensic e- evidence that would perhaps be presented uh, during this arraignment. We've already seen a pattern of behavior that prosecutors outlined last week during, a, during another uh, court proceeding where they talked about how Brian Walsh had spent some $450 on cleaning supplies at that Home Depot. Also talking about the internet internet search that he uh, allegedly conducted, uh, searching for how to dispose of a 115-pound woman's body and how to dismember a body. So during this arraignment proceeding, which again, expected to get underway, it could be at any moment now, uh, we're expected to learn more details about what they've uncovered in their case. Yeah, Caitlin? we'll check
3: back with you for those details. Jason Carroll, thank you. For for more on this, let's bring in CNN legal analyst and criminal defense attorney Joey Jackson. I think our first question when we got this alert from our reporting about being charged with illegal transport of a body is how does that happen if there is no body?
23: Yes. So it must mean and it could mean that they have information, Caitlin, Don, uh, we could very well learn. Right. Do they know anything with respect to the body or any traces or remnants or remains of the body? And so I think that is yet to be determined. Uh, But that would lead me, uh, Caitlin, to that conclusion. Uh, What I'm interested in knowing, obviously, as we look today at what happens is what else they have. Right. We're going to be looking for forensic uh, forensics. What do they have with respect to that? What do they have in terms of cell phone? data that would connect them a lot of circumstantial evidence what do they have in terms of his whereabouts and the timelines how do they fit in all of this misleading information he gave them so I think we're going to learn a lot today with respect to what authorities have and what they're going to be doing moving forward
2: it isn't unheard of is it to prosecute without a body is it but does it make it makes it more difficult You know, it does, Don. The prosecutions
23: are difficult with a body, right, and all that you can glean from a body with respect to the trauma and what happened and how it happened and where it happened and when it happened. So without it, there are challenges. But if you look at this particular case, wow, circumstantial evidence, a plenty, right, but circumstantial evidence, we have to remember, is evidence. When you have information with respect to bloody knives and basements with regard to you leaving your residence when you're supposed to be on probation and supposed to be taking your kids to school... But you didn't do that. And it's not only the four hundred fifty dollars in cleaning supplies. It's the paying for them in cash. What was that all about? Right. It's the misleading investigators. It's saying your wife left to the airport when guess what? The cell phone pings there. We don't know what police uncovered Don Caitlin as it relates to their trash that they've been going through and the different searches. So why do I say all this? Nobody. But boy, is there compelling circumstantial evidence that leads in his direction.
3: What about what degree murder charge? Because it doesn't seem that we know first, second, or what it could potentially be? Is that something you're going to be paying attention to? Yeah, you know,
23: the essence of it is at the end of the day, I think we're looking at a murder charge, a degree to which will be predicated upon the evidence. But just let's talk about that briefly. It'll be interesting to know what the theory is, right? People ask about motive, motive. What's the motivation? Of course, you don't have to establish motive as a prosecutor, but inquiring minds, if it goes to a jury, want to know what would lead you to do this? Why do I mention motive? Because it goes to intent. Is this going to be a case? where it was premeditated or is it a case right where it was a crime of passion was it a case where it was some other type of murder so I'll be looking to know what the theory of the prosecution is as it relates to the murder charge that they ultimately put forward
2: there's usually at some point listen uh, again due process innocent until proven guilty but as you know from doing this forever you've been doing this a long (laughs) time uh, the evidence all uh, often points to a significant other in these cases Um, When does that, in the process of this, when does that usually, when does that usually reveal? Does a person come around and say, okay, this is way too much pressure. Let me give you the information that you're looking for. So, you know, the bottom line
23: is that you don't have to speak, right? The pro- the problem is, is that many defendants do enter into questioning and they give information that comes to be very valuable to authorities and not very valuable to them. But even in the absence of someone breaking down or in the absence of them saying, "Yeah, okay, I did it, this is how and this is why, et cetera, you know, authorities have been pretty good over the years at piecing things together. Uh, there has been information about the relationship, about uh, some information of 2014, I believe, Mm -hmm. where there was a threat on her life, presumably from him, whether that sees the light of day at any trial is another question. But I think that they will, authorities through looking at text messages, emails, interviewing people about the nature of their interactions, et cetera, try to glean why he would do this. So there's a lot we don't know. I think there's a lot more we'll learn today. But always remember, prosecutors keep back enough, right, so that they can, at that jury trial, really... Let the jurors know
2: why he's guilty in their view. That's what I was going to say. There's a lot, you know, they don't tell everything. Exactly. And they've right. said so much. Yeah.
3: So that is saying a lot.
2: Thank yeah. you, Joey. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Don. Appreciate Thank it. You. This morning's number, 455, will tell you why. Did that Ryan?
13: Biden had a visit with the Prime Minister of the Netherlands. Look at this. Thank you again, Mr. Minister. We've had a great relationship with both our countries, personally, and I look forward to discussing a lot more in detail. Thank you. Thank you so much. And
17: also, thank you for hosting me. It's the first time in my five wow. visits that the fireplace, the uh,
15: fireplace. is all. Yeah, that's because he's burning classified documents in that <laughs> fireplace.
21: A radio clip that has surfaced from 2020 demonstrates just how much Santos loves... Spreading his lies. He does it with the real joie de cive.
16: When I was in Baruch, we were the number one volleyball. Did you graduate from Baruch? uh, Did you
21: graduate from there? Yeah. So did I. I did. did. So did I. Oh, very cool. Great school, great institution. Very liberal, but very good, very good professors. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great, great, great school, great professors. Dumbledore, McGonagall, the. uh, The Nutty.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That was good. We needed a laugh after. All of that madness.
3: It's crazy how much the George Santos thing has become like just an everyday conversation, everyday joke. I was at the airport the other day and I walked by these two older gentlemen sitting together and they were talking about George Santos and roasting him for what we were talking about, the uh lying about the volleyball championship.
2: Yeah. Um someone one of the guys came in the studio a few minutes ago and said, Are you guys upset that he's on the air and space committee or whatever it is? You know, Uh, him after you know, being a former astronaut.
3: the jokes okay. write themselves for these guys. It was
2: funnier when he said it. Okay, so. It was
3: funny when you said it, too. All right,
2: thank you. <laughs> Maybe I should try out for Trevor's spot. Okay. Apple has unveiled two new versions of its popular MacBook Pro laptops, a 14-inch and 16-inch options. It is the latest update for a tech giant that has seen incredible growth over the past 20 years. CNN's senior data reporter knows all about it. It's Harry Enten. Harry, uh, what is this 455? What's this number about?
21: All right, so this morning's number is Apple share of the USPC market by unit ship. It's up 455% since 2003, the third quarter of 2003. Incredible growth, incredible growth. And I just wanna zoom in on this and it gives you an understanding. Apple share of the USPC market by unit ship <clears throat> back in 2003. It was just 3.1%. Nobody I knew, nobody I knew basically had an Apple. It was the less cool option. Everyone wanted, say, something that had Microsoft Windows on or whatever the latest version was at the time. But look at the growth, 11.5% in 2013. And now 17.2% of the the, uh, PCs that have been shipped are Apple. It's an unbelievable growth story over the last two decades, guys. Okay, so then what's the reason for this? The easier to operate than the old? No, I think that might be one of the reasons, but Apple has always been easy to operate. It was something I could operate as a five-year-old. Take a look here. U.S. adults owning an iPhone. This is based on my estimate based on polling and some market reports. You know, back in 2003, there was no iPhone. By 2013, about 22% of Americans owned an iPhone. Now, 44%, 44%, I think what's essentially happening is people are like, ooh, I like my, my iOS, and now I wanna be able to use it with my computer, so I'm in fact going to use a Mac PC. So you essentially get the situation where people are migrating from a iPhone over to a PC. It's one of those very interesting things. Of course, the iPhone, still far more popular than the PC, at least in concern for Mac. But in terms of the bottom line, I think this says it all, Apple stock price, Look at that, it was just 25 cents back wow. in 2003. Look where it is today, $135.94. Massive growth. If you owned Apple shares back in 2003, you made a ton of money. I wish I bought into it. <laughs> I did. I knew you, nothing. Wow. I just went on like what is it, one of those E-Trade
2: things and bought Apple stock. Not a ton of it, but I mean, it's crazy. I, I had no idea what I was doing. It was like a merit trade or something.
3: amazing. Like
2: Better to be lucky than smart, Don. Yeah, but, and that's true, because I am a lot luckier than I am smart. <laughs> Speak for yourself there, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you.
3: All right, also turning to a story that we have been following all morning here on CNN this morning, Anna Walsh's husband, he is the man suspected of killing the mother of three. He has just arrived at the courthouse moments ago. You can see him there. Those are brand new images. He is set to be formally charged in just a bit. We now know he's actually gonna be facing three charges: murder, improper transport of a body, and misleading investigators, the initial charge that he was jailed on. We have reporters at the courthouse. CNN is going to bring you the latest developments as we learn more from the prosecutors. contested debate for 25 years now james cameron is trying to put an end to that age-old question about whether jack and rose could have survived on the door in the middle of the atlantic in an upcoming documentary because the movie is turning 25 years old which is hard to believe national geographic recreated the scenario to prove scientifically once and for all whether it was possible for two people to be on that door Using stunt doubles with sensors and cold but not freezing water, they consulted hypothermia experts about the matter.
7: The faster your heart's beating, the faster that cooling blood from your arms and legs is coming into your core, taking your temperature down. So I was really curious to see what
15: that did to Jack's situation.
3: The documentary is going to premiere on February 5th. Cameron says you're going to have to wait until then. For the answer, what do you think?
2: I love James Cameron, but it is a movie. I mean, just...
3: <laughs> I know, people it's actually supposed, to It's this. not real.
2: I mean, you know, it's about it's about the real Titanic, but it is a movie and
3: It's crazy to think it's 25 years and old. And,
2: it is. It's crazy as 25 years old, but um, what were we talking about before? Redoing Ghosts? I, look, I think it's very interesting. I'll probably watch the, the James Cameron thing, but, like, I don't know. Why would you remake a movie that is a classic and why would you try to ruin it with uh, whether you can on a door just go to the movie enjoy it and yeah they can do it remember
3: why don't get on cruises I'm the king of the world
2: that was my favorite part of the
3: movie all right while we're debating this (laughs) students newsroom continues and starts right now that is it for this episode of CNN This Morning. You can check out our lineup of podcasts
12: and showcasts at cnn.com audio or in your favorite podcast app.
7: Thanks for listening.
2: Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN Flash Talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com callmecountry. Max subscription required.